We're now streaming live. All right. All right. We've got some intro music coming up by Chris Whitmer from the Third Way Podcast. How's it going, Chris? Hey. Welcome hit us here. Up with the, hit us up with those tunes. Okay. Sounds good. Deep in the heart of stone, the walls are golden sky, where the phantom shadow figures are. Down by the gates, they sang a lark. She comes at the break of dawn. The rays fall on her dress. You know, she's used to be a silhouette deep in the heart of stone. And every day she comes to say, Look up, look at the dawn. Yes, I escape the shadows once I listen to the sun. They say, look how she goes. She gave herself away, her crown, her throne. Like a fool, like a renegade, now wasting her days in a better you. On tricks and charades, but we see right through. Look how she goes. Deep in the heart of stone, no fire, no flame, no spark can overtake or tame the dark. But freedom, they're very fond. Sing along. She's for Babylon, she goes at the break of dawn in the same sun golden dress. You know she's waiting for the silhouette, then sang the nightingale. And every day she comes to say, look up, look at the dawn. Yes, I escaped the darkness once I heard and sang along. No one sang along. They say, Cow, she goes. She gave herself away. A desert rose. What a delusional runaway. Got stars in her hair. Walks on the moon. It's a moonlight mirage, but we see right through. Look how. And down by the gates a dove sang with a girl and suddenly the song heard the morning call they held they held with their eyes the dawn and three cheers for Babylon Sounded strange as they turned to say Look how she goes She gave herself away 
no heart of stone we've been fools we've been renegades now wasting our days in the better you on these tricks and charades now we see right through look how she goes look how she goes look how she goes Thank you, Chris. You're welcome. My pleasure. Check out Chris's podcast, The Third Way. Um, might be coming back some point in the future. <laughs> Got to work up that tension. All right. Good night, bro. Yeah. Good night. Obi, Obi, can you hear us? This is my friend Obi Martin. He's going to be sharing some original poetry with us. Hey, good evening. Um, do you guys have my audio? Yep. Cool. Great. Um, I wrote this poem today and yesterday. It's called November 3, 2020. Um, it's about the wind. If you were on the East Coast yesterday, um, you know what the wind was like, and it inspired some poetry. Um, when Titus curated on Facebook for some spoken word of thought, um, this might fit the bill. So this is November 3, 2020. I woke up this morning to the whistling of the wind. The corners of the house were teeth in the mouth of November and whistling around them was the world spinning like a dynamo when I got up this morning. When I got up this morning, the wind gashed long tracks across the valley and in the darkness before dawn, it undid many a plastic icon. Somewhere, the Proud Boys are making buttermilk pancakes this morning. Somewhere, a lonely anti-fascist is eating his avocados and toast. Somewhere, a retired plumber who has placed his hope in MAGA and a 401k fries himself an egg for breakfast. Somewhere, a democratic socialist with student debt and a degree in nursing does the same. Somewhere, an ecologist worries over his coffee. Somewhere a militia member boils his, a different set of anxieties brewing in the same regions of his brain. Both had trouble sleeping last night. Neither have yet been through a midlife crisis. A great wind is coming through the valley. The sky is tumbling down upon the earth and great blocks of light rebounding off the ridges and running down the hills, submerging the grass, the grass and leaves that run for cover. As for myself, I am driving and running down, feeling the weight of the car and the wheel against my hands as I accelerate around the corners. The blacktop is bright this morning, but the sky spat out last night. The road is a torrent of leaves and I'm a mercury juggernaut. The leaves rejoice in my wheeling and I make them my train, a flinging of wings in my wake, the ones that fall down and the ones that rise up to meet me. The sinuous wind digs its fingers between the panels of steel and pulls my car forward or yanks it to the left or right. The wind is a wild banquet, a blanket of heedlessness, a ubiquitous turning, and no man knows where it comes from or where it is going. This wind this morning has every direction. It takes them all and none take it. I rejoiced this morning when I went to see the man of God. My heart laid low, but my body thundered when the wind knocked the caps off the ridges and the grass went streaming away beneath the light and the sky came spilling down 
onto the meadows. My tires sang as I did when I, met, when I went to meet the prophet. While plastic apparitions took on life and fled the yards of their origin, the giant inflatable ghosts and pumpkins went soaring off like air balloons, crazily climbing and eclipsing one another or singeing their circumferences on power lines and falling to wrap their flabby lengths around trees for safety. Loose-limbed skeletons rattled like maracas, and campaign yard signs leapt from the moorings and went whistling through the air like corrugated plastic guillotines or the ashes of discarded ballots. I swerved to miss a garbage can, come barreling across the middle line, unhinged and hungover, vomiting its contents on the road. A telephone pole leaned, stricken, its wires sagging toward the standing seams of the roof beneath it. Trees cast off their branches, porch swings disowned their cushions, and the fabric of sun-bleached flags on every pole was ripping. We're all sheep led astray, and every man has turned into a yard sign. There was a forge in the heart of the man of God, and a fire in his front room. His voice was his own, and his words were another's. Two halves of a bellows they were to my heart. We use the truth and our own apprehensions of it to beat one another upon the head. What have I seen? What I have seen, you must see also. I have no imagination to consider what you may not have learned. But who is our teacher? Where is the spirit of our learning? Who is the spirit of our becoming? My counselors, my baptizers, the, found, the founders of my faith and my awakening are trading in the bread of puppets and monarchs and making the pearl of parables a plaything. The flags of nations and empires are equally sun-bleached, equally rending before the wind of his becoming. Poking horn, come out from among them and prophesy this also. Is the kingdom of God an accelerant, a caffeine shot, a stepping stone, a building block, a moral guidepost, a guiding principle to the dream of America? Follow no man further than he follows God. We all pray in our own way. Don't tell me you don't pray, just say why you don't more often. We all pray in our own way, some with weakness, some with hollowness, some with fullness, some with caviling, and some with desire. The man of God knows it is not prayer that saves us, but surrender. Can we agree this hole has no bottom? Can we agree to act with our conscience and demand no man does the same? Can we agree that we have been trained by the institutions of acquisition? And can we become students instead to the mysteries of his love and his will for us? No man knows the way of the wind. It takes every way. None take it. Even the bricks waved at me this morning. Even the dust might spark light that's brighter than their own. For beneath the tiniest corks, there is bottomless chaos. The burden of becoming touches all, and form is brought up by desire from disorder. I will admit that in our bandwidth, greed and hate get the most airtime, but still maintain that beneath everything, it's love that structures all existence out of pure potential. There was a forge in the heart of the man of God and a fire in his front room. His voice was his own and his words two halves and his words were another's two halves of a bellows they were to my heart. Even the bricks wave at me this morning. Even the dust might spark a light that's brighter than their own. I will open my home to the wind this week, pull down my blinds and windows and let it sift my living room, find its way to my bed and carry me off to sleep or wake me in the morning, for it has found its way somehow into my lungs and blood already. All right. Obi Martin, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us, bro.
Now, Kimberly is joining us from uh, Washington, D.C. itself. Am I right? Close by. <laughs> All right. She's going to be narrating the Sermon on the Mount. We decided if it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So uh, Matthew 5 through 7 in its entirety. All right. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil things falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that you may see, they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. For whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, Cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. 
Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. 
But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Judge not that you not be judged, for the judgment you pronounce, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take this speck out of your eye when there, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistle? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Amen. Thank you, Kimberly. The most powerful message ever preached. Um, you had some people in the in the comments asking for you to break into Latin. Can you can you do some of that in Latin? <laughs> I don't have I don't have Latin in front of me, unfortunately. Okay. I, I, I don't know what that's about, but apparently Kimberly knows Latin. But yeah, thanks again for joining us. Thanks. All right. Well, we made it to election night, everybody. Yeah, welcome. Welcome. This is our, our, our formal welcome from the four amigos, three of us anyhow. Um, we've been very, very excited about this show tonight. Uh, it's, a, it's a different kind of show for us because, you know, it's action-packed. 
we've got people coming on with us all evening like we've already started here so so we wanted to start out just um anthony will be joining us later off and on but we wanted to start out with the question like why are a bunch of people who don't believe in voting doing election coverage that's been the 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 question of the of the week everybody wondering if this was satire or if we were actually going to run election coverage and what that means for us I think it's important. There's a lot of ways to talk about that, right? Like we we do live here and what's happening here and what's happening with this election is going to have tremendous impact in the world. And it's not insignificant. But we also have we, we're also coming at this in typical fashion for us as ambassadors. You know, if I'm an ambassador in Russia, I care very much about what's happening in Russia. It is important to my mission and my purpose to know where I fit and how to how to represent the interests of my my nation. So that's what we're here doing tonight. We 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 do care. We 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 pray about our country. We love our neighbors and and we want to we want to we want to enter into this next phase of what's happening in America as as brothers and sisters as a body. What what do you guys have to say? Yeah, I think the way you summed it up is pretty good. I like what you said about like an ambassador will obviously care about what's going on in the country in which he resides. And really everyone in the country is is thinking about this topic tonight. I mean, this is this is the national conversation that's going on. And, and rather than just crawling under a rock, like we want to engage this from a kingdom perspective, from the politics of Jesus. And yeah, we've got some, we got Berceau and, and Finney Caravilla and some others coming on to, to share some of those ideas. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll be giving, giving some updates. I think Blanky Dave has got some news updates for us as the night progresses, um, but it should be a good time. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot today and I actually posted something about it. Um, the, the need that we have as Christians, as, as Paul said, um, I'd like to exhort, as Paul did, he said, first of all, I exhort that prayers, supplications, giving of thanks uh, be made for all men, for kings and those in authority, that we can live a quiet and peaceful life in godliness and honesty. Um, God and his people care very much about what's happening tonight in our election, um, not even necessarily um, who wins, but that his kingdom, regardless of who wins, his kingdom goes forward. And so the, um, the goal that we have tonight is to proclaim to you the good news um, that Jesus is king. That's why um, the slogan that I have for our dank uh, podcast coverage is um, no fake news, the good news. Um, so that's right. <laughs> that's what we're here to share is the good news that it doesn't matter who wins the election, um, that Jesus is king and he's the king of an upside down kingdom. Um, we, you know, we just went through a couple presidential debates and it was a lot of uh, situations where people were talking over other people and this kind of thing. And I had to think of the verses in Philippians where Paul tells us, uh, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. And I, I tried to imagine what, um, what a presidential debate would look like um, in the upside down kingdom, um, the, <laughs> each, each of the two esteeming the other better himself. You know, my opponent has great policies. I just, uh, I think he's, he's got... He's got great experience. Um, I, I can think of different ways that he could handle handle situations in much much a different way than I could. The the political system that we're looking at tonight doesn't work in the kingdom of God, and and, and God's kingdom doesn't work in this. So that's 
that's what we're here to proclaim is that there's another way of doing business. There's another king. And um, we're here to, to share that good news with you and to remind you, if you've been depressed about the election, that there's, that there's somebody else that's on the throne. It doesn't matter who wins tonight. So that's, that's what we're trying to do. I had a conversation going on today on, on my page. Um, somebody asked a, a really good question. They said, if, it, hypothetically, if there, was a, if there was a candidate who aligned with your values, would you vote? And, and it's a good question because it gets at the heart of the issue, right? Like, am I just disgruntled with my options or is there something else going on? And my answer was that no, I wouldn't vote. If even if you could, which you couldn't, if you could have a peace president that wasn't going to, to kill people, uh, which negates the whole purpose of his position as commander in chief. But even if you could do that, there's still an intrinsic conflict between the the nations of men and the kingdom of God. And what the real question at the heart of that issue is that when Jesus came, when he displayed his ministry, when he gave his teachings and did his miracles, and when he died on the cross, did he actually establish a real present nation on earth? Internationally, of all of his disciples who who were who were renouncing where they were coming from and joining themselves like that repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand that are, that have joined themselves to that nation and that's their center that's their policy that's their potentate that's everything that they're doing if the answer if that's true then we have to approach all of our involvements in the world from the perspective of what it means to be in the nation of Christ Titus when we were doing some of the run up to this he said you know this all can sound kind of kitschy, like Jesus is president, like a Sunday school lesson for children. What we mean is that there is an order that is upsetting the world. I mean, we're talking about this in present terms, but there are eschatological implications. And, and it's a place that I like to take these conversations a lot. If you're voting for America today, if you're invested in America today, are you processing and realizing that as a Christian, this nation, if it continues to exist, is the enemy of Christ in the end? There are no good nations of men at the end of the eschaton. Like when Jesus comes back in the second advent, it's him against everybody. The world, the nations of the world rise up in, in defiance and opposition to the coming Christ and, and he ends that all there. And if America exists, she's going to be on a side of that issue, and it's not Jesus's side. So we're recognizing all that conflict and strife, but we also have a job to do, as we've, as we've mentioned already. Do we have, um, we, should, we should tell everybody how it's going to go for this evening. We have some different, we have a, a program set up. We're going to have people joining us throughout the evening, and we're going to have some news breaks throughout. Uh, Dave, do you want to introduce us to, to what we're looking at? Do we have anything to start with, with our news election coverage? We don't have a lot. There are a couple uh, states that have been called, and um, well, I'll just introduce you. We are, um, we're going to call a couple states right now, so um, let me pull up my um, my screen share here. 
Uh, just give me a second. And and this is gonna be this is gonna be uh, you know the most accurate news reporting. Yes. I mean, we have an inside track to go to tonight. Yeah, we right. we have we have special access to election results that only we have. Well, very very few people have. Yeah. Right. So we're exactly. we're gonna be sharing with you guys. All right, so this is our this is our electoral map here, um, our high tech uh, bank podcast map, and so um, we are going to be calling a couple states, a couple key battleground states here. Um, the state of PA, we are calling for wow. Jesus Christ. Oh, he got um, it. Woohoo! I was that was a close one. Um, now, I, now a lot of people were thinking that the state was going to go Trump because of the um, it had a lot of the Amish vote there. And, well, yeah, um, <laughs> right. But, but turns out that it is going um, to Jesus, and also Fantastic. we are calling Virginia as well as Rhode Island um, for Jesus as well. So um, it's it looks like a good start for the Prince of Peace. Um, this evening so that's the states that we're calling um now now i do want to i do want to put this out there that you know this is going to be a long election night we might not know the the winner for a couple days but but this is definitely a strong start for jesus Uh, i would say well we have committed that we plan to be the first major network to announce the winner of this election so we're going to be here as long as that takes whatever Mm -hmm. happens right. right uh when I pull up results, Dave, I'm showing I'm showing results for West Virginia and Kentucky in as well. Okay, uh, what are you what are you seeing? Well, let me see here. We've got some results. You know, we have special access. Uh, so far, it looks like in the state of Kentucky, this is hot off the presses. There is 64.5 percent of the vote for Donald Trump. So we're going to go ahead and call Kentucky for Jesus. Yes. That That's how good. that works. Right. So, <laughs> That's a, an it. amazing upset. <laughs> he's and, he's and, on top. There's one more. Uh, West Virginia has 53.5% of the votes cast so far for Joe Biden. So we're going to okay. go ahead and call that one as well, too. I think West Virginia is definitely under the sole authority of King Jesus. Which is, a, right. which is a surprising one. I mean, there's some wild people in West Virginia, right. but Jesus is king even over West Virginia. Right. So. Great All right. start so for the evening. Like I said, it looks like a strong lead. Um, so we'll have to see what happens as the, as the news continues to unfold. Well, you know, these are touch and go situations. So we'll have to follow it. Uh, as we get new data in, we'll be, we'll be following those results closely and letting all of you folks at home know what happens. Yeah, I, I think the situation we have here is is Psalms two, uh, the kings of the earth taking a stand against the Lord and against His anointed, and um, we do have some representatives from heaven, and they said there was a, a surprising phenomenon going on up there. There was laughter. Um, uh, it, it seems like God was kind of holding them in derision. So uh, I don't think I don't think they're too concerned about about what's going to be happening tonight. Well, we All have right. a we have a new guest with us. He's joining as we speak. Josh, good. Can you hear us, Josh? Hey, can you hear us? There he is. So we we asked Josh to come on 
at the top of the show here to give us like in a in a 10 minute nutshell what is the the gospel of the kingdom the explicit gospel i think it was matt chandler who wrote a book called the explicit gospel which may or may not have been the explicit gospel <laughs> um but I think this is really important because this really is uh, a political message. The, the the biblical gospel is a political message, and it is the message that will transform the world. And and Josh has, has some um, really good thoughts on, on this topic, so we're just going to let you take it away. Um, we're not really going to interrupt you. We're going to let this kind of be a 10-minute a spiel. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Quick sound check there. I hope you guys can hear me coming through. Okay. Thank yep. you. I just want to say thank you, you know, for having me on. I don't think I've met hardly any of you ever in person, uh, but I've appreciated what you've brought. I've been following the Dang Kingdom thing uh, for a while and I've really, really, really enjoyed it. So, uh, and then just quickly, I know that you all each bring a lot of wisdom to this conversation as well. So, Really value the opportunity to speak into it, but also, of course, would uh, you know, will welcome upon my conclusion additions or a pushback uh, where where that's necessary. Also, of course, is a great night for it, uh, given that the results are just coming in from Florida and uh, the whole world, in a sense, but especially in the United States, uh, many of the citizens kind of on pins and needles. Saw the other day a headline said that uh, this is the most stressful day of people's lives. Uh, a lot, of, a lot of folks. So, so I really just you know thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak to uh, you know to kind of how I think about uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, from a kingdom kind of centric standpoint. Appreciate your thoughts there, Titus, and I would echo that uh, up front that the gospel of Jesus Christ I think does have political ramifications, and so sometimes when we use words. I came with Christians being apolitical and whatnot. It's a little confusing to people because uh, they 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 kind of intuit the political ramifications of of the the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think to you know to kind of note that I would probably just start from the very you know start with this kind of observation from the very beginning of Christianity as we know it with the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, there were political kind of implications. And so, you know, consider, you know, you have the, the wise men or the magi from the East that are coming looking for a king. And, uh, you know, when they said king, they really, in their minds, uh, were thinking something similar to a political ruler of some sort. And when they approached the reigning king, Herod, about uh, where they could find this king that was born, Herod rightly uh, was, was felt threatened by that, and he, you know, feigned interest, played along and said, you know, where is the king? I would like to worship him also, but, but really that was kind of born out of, out of this threat. So, so Herod then, as we know, you know, institutes a massacre in the town of Bethlehem in, in an attempt to kill this king because Herod and the principality or the kingdom or the country with which he uh, ruled, he felt kind of rightly threatened by Jesus right from the very beginning, even when he was born as a humble child uh, in, in Bethlehem. And then shortly kind of after that, as Jesus lived, grew up uh, and started his ministry, uh, was crucified and died, we see again from the very beginning of Christianity that Caesar and the Roman Empire and the Jewish 
political leaders, the Sanhedrin, also felt threatened by the kingdom of God and Jesus as king in an existential way. And, uh, you know, so much so that leaders were imprisoned, they were killed, uh, they were tortured, and they were kind of obstructed, you know, in, in, in every sense. And of course, the whole kind of notion, you know, we have, we have no king, you know, uh, but Jesus and Caesar, Caesar is not Lord is you know, something that's written about. So, so then I think I would just kind of lead with, you know, from the very beginning, the kingdom of, of God was understood by the, the rulers and the politicians of the day to be a threat to the kind of existential uh, political powers. So I like that now to just kind of uh, back up and, and sort of paint the larger picture and to really just go back to the beginning, you know, when God created heaven and earth and created mankind on earth, the rule and reign of God were perfect. You know, the Bible talks about Adam and Eve walking and talking, being in perfect communion with God. And that lasted until, you know, Adam and Eve sinned and they were, uh, Eve was deceived. By, by Satan and Adam then sinned as well. At that point, uh, the way I, you know, I would usually frame it is the rule and reign of God were interrupted and sin and Satan and death began, or the curse began to rule kind of on earth. God still ruled, he's still sovereign in heaven, uh, but the rule and reign of God on earth was marred and, and, uh, and, and interrupted. And then, of course, the Old Testament kind of tells the story of what a, you know, what a, an earth and society looks like when it's ruled and reigned by sin and Satan. It, it tells the story of what political systems look like when they're ruled and reigned by, you know, by sin and death. And, of course, you know, even what an, you know, an, an anarchy looks like in the case of, of, of judges where there was no, no centralized state. And then what a centralized state looks like uh, with the, you know, the kings of Israel, Saul, and then, and then David and, and his line. But the prophet, you know, I think I would take us to the prophet Isaiah in, 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 uh, in chapter 9, where he talks about a great darkness being over the earth and then prophesies about a light that's going to shine into the great darkness. The darkness will not comprehend the light. And then further in Isaiah, there's prophecies about uh, Jesus, a coming ruler, and, you know, the language is, the Almighty God, the Prince of Peace, and you know the again the language is political. The government shall be upon his shoulder of his reign. There shall be no end. Uh, very you know kind of very much anticipating a real rule by a real ruler who has the government upon his shoulder, and who will come to establish a kingdom that you know that that can never be shaken and and where the reign will never end. And then fast forward a little further, Jesus is born, as I already mentioned, and from the very outset. Herod and the kingdoms of this world were, were threatened kind of immediately. Uh, Jesus then in Matthew 4, you know, his, his first call to repentance is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, you know, we use, I sometimes say it this way, we use the word kingdom uh, in, in religious speak, uh, but really we, we could well use the word country. We could well use the word nation or state or something like that. Uh, and we use the word king, and it's a, it's a great word, uh, but we might well use any other term for political ruler, whether it's president or prime minister or mayor or something, you know, something of that nature. So, so I kind of like to, in, you know, inter, you know to interchange that language a little bit to sort of help us, help us get the drift. But if Jesus came and said, look, repent for the nation of God is going to be started or the kingdom of God is coming, 
And then he goes on, as was read earlier uh, by Kimberly there, and issues what you know some people call the Jesus Manifesto or the Constitution for this coming kingdom, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And what's beautiful about you know the, the coming kingdom here in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is there's loads of good news. So I, you know, to me, when people ask what the good news is or what the gospel is, there's a lot of good news. There's not just one, you know, one particular, oh, you know, you don't have to go to hell when you die, but there's lots of good news. And if you, you know, if you look at it at you know Matthew 5, there, the beginning of Matthew 5, this idea that you are blessed, you know, the meek shall inherit the earth, that you're blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit, uh, this kind of upside down kingdom where where uh, people that have you know have struggles people that have been marginalized people that have no power uh, or access to political uh, control if you will are the ones that are you know are in a spot where they can be blessed and really be enriched and then you know moving kind of through that 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 sermon you know Jesus then teaches this you know I had this kind of radical idea of suffering love and, you know, if we have the faith to believe it, you know, again, it's good news. The idea of suffering love is good news for those people who, you know, who, who, who don't have the political power of the world, the kings, meaning guns and tanks. And, you know, Reagan used to have this thing, uh, uh, this idea that there's peace through strength. You know, the, the way to salvation is a really, really big army and a lot of, uh, you know, a big Department of Defense. And, and that's kind of the salvation uh, of course, in, under the you know mercantile system, there's this idea: a lot of economic power, a lot of money. That's the you know the, the path to salvation for a nation. But in in Matthew five, six, and seven, Jesus says in His kingdom, power actually is access. You know, you don't have to have a lot of money, uh, you know, and, and to buy F-16s to wield power with regards to a political kingdom. But the power comes through this act of suffering love, uh, through the acts of telling truth, simply telling the truth. Uh, through the acts of loving, you know, one man, one woman, through the acts of giving rather than receiving. And, you know, when you think about this, it's good news to people who don't have the typical access to the power in the, you know, in, in the, the political state of, of the world of kingdoms. So that's, you know, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And Jesus, you know, he, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven, is, of heaven is at hand. He comes as a king. And then he prays in the same in the same message there, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as also in heaven. So to take it back, you know, when the reign of God was interrupted on earth as a result of Adam's sin by one man, you know, sin entered the world, God still ruled and reigned in heaven as a sovereign God. But when Jesus comes back, he came back to reestablish the rule and reign, the kingdom of God or the nation of God on earth as also in heaven. Uh, but this nation that he rules is not a geopolitical state. It's not one with borders. Uh, it's one where uh, it's not one where immigrants are not allowed. It's not a nation that uh, you know that prizes coercion and violence and accumulation of wealth, uh, accumulation of of that kind of worldly power. Instead, it's you know as has been referred to this idea of an upside down kingdom, where uh, the rule and the power, the rule is from Jesus and the power comes from the suffering love, as uh, Brother Matthew mentioned here uh, a couple of nights ago, uh, demonstrated at the cross where he received and absorbed the hate and the evil, the pain and suffering in the world and overcame uh, darkness with light, overcame, overcame evil with good. So, so that's the kingdom, but it's a real kingdom. And if it's a kingdom that, you know, that means anything at all, and if it's a kingdom that we have allegiance to, I'm, you guys are probably familiar with Matthew Bates and his work in this idea 
of allegiance to this kingdom, then it has ramifications for how we live. And I would go so far as to say uh, that, you know, that a citizen that has allegiance only to Jesus and the kingdom of God, uh, which is, a, you know, again, a present reality, come on earth as also in heaven, uh, can never be an ideal citizen of a worldly kingdom. Uh, we're not called to rebel in a violent way like Marx taught, you know, I'm against Marxism. But we'll never be an ideal kingdom because our allegiance is not to the worldly kingdoms and we reject the tools of the worldly kingdoms. So when, like when Jesus said, if my kingdom you know, were of this world, then would my servants fight or my kingdom is not of this world. You know, the point there, I, I like to say it this way, it's not that the kingdom is not a present reality, it's that the kingdom is not a worldly kingdom, meaning they don't, it doesn't use the tools of violence and coer coercion the way the worldly kingdoms do. Uh, but not that, you know, I think that is sometimes interpreted to mean it's not in, you know, a, a present reality in this world. But I think it is a present reality in this world as he prayed, as he came to found. And then, of course, ultimately, as we know, Jesus laid down his life as our forerunner, uh, leaving us an example, you know, to follow that we might also uh, conquer and overcome evil. You know, Dan Ziegler said, I think the other night, but Jesus didn't come and take sides. He came to take over. And it's in following his example you know, we win. That's the beauty of it. We win. On the end, we win. And the, you know, we don't rely on Biden. We don't rely on Trump. We don't rely on any of these political kingdoms. We win because we're in the kingdom of God and Jesus is taking over. And our weapons, that means the suffering love as, as, as exemplified, modeled, uh, for us by Jesus is, you know, is the, are, are more powerful than the weapons that they have. And the hope is, Bates talks about this being the benefit of the gospel, our great hope is, is that like Jesus in laying down our lives, picking up our cross, we also have the hope of immortality and resurrection from the dead uh, in the great hereafter. So that's, you know, that's the icing on the cake, if you will. Uh, but this, you know, the, the, other, the other piece of this kingdom is, is that it's a great kingdom. And the kingdom of God is, is a kingdom of the more abundant life. Jesus you know, reigns as a ruler, but his yoke is easy and his burden is light as he taught. And you know, his principles are the way to a joyful life, a happy life, a fulfilled society. You know, he, he has the answers. And last thing I would say, uh, there's a website out there, Rival Nations, and it's uh, the, uh, one of the underlying ideas is, I think there's a, in a sense, there's a real competition between the kingdom of God and kingdom of Jesus that he came and he founded of which we're a part of and, and helping to build and the kingdoms of this world. And as the kingdom of God expands and grows, the kingdoms of this world rightly feel threatened. And that the kingdoms of this world never feel threatened by the kingdom of God. And none of our tools, none of our kind of being threatens them in any substantive way. I think we have to ask ourselves, what kind of kingdom do we even have? Uh, because it's not the kingdom of God. From the very beginning, the kingdom of God was threatening to King Herod, to Caesar, and, and on down, kind of down the age. So, so in a nutshell, you know, I, I'm excited about the kingdom of God. Uh, it's, I think it's a, it's a present reality. It's a real kingdom. It's not a geopolitical state. It's a global kingdom. Immigration is open uh, for any that, that wish to become citizens of the kingdom of God. And it's, you know, it's the path to an abundant life. It's a path to a joyful life. And, uh, you know, it's a, it'd be great to have everybody, every listener, if you're listening here and you're not a citizen, a member of, of the winning side. The water's good. All right, I think that was about you, 10 minutes, Titus. 
job. <laughs> Amen. You, you, hey, you mentioned two people that we actually tried to get on the show tonight. Uh, I talked to Rival Nations, and the guy just wasn't ready to disclose his identity yet. Uh, so he told us no. But I actually also talked to Matthew Bates. I, I highly recommend both of those both of those places for more information. Yeah. There's another thing, too, that I think is, I, I, I think this is a really important message, and tonight is the perfect night to talk about how very political the kingdom of God is, because we really miss a lot of what Jesus is doing if we don't put that stuff in the proper context. And one way to demonstrate that is that if you were to ask people in the first century, there was someone who was talked about who was called the redeemer of the world, the son of God, the savior of all men, um, God's gift to men. Who, who am I talking about? Well, if you asked anybody today, they'd say Jesus. But if you asked anybody in the first century, they would say Caesar. Caesar. Because those were all official titles of Caesar yeah. himself. John Dominic Crossan, who I don't normally recommend, but he has some great history on this on on existing statuary that uses these messianic titles for caesar so when the church comes around and and becomes baptized under jesus and the church starts to spread in the gentile world and they're using terms like jesus is lord and he's the son of god and the savior of the world there is a direct conflict of power over who right. properly owns that title and that's right. really why we're here tonight, because it's why we're doing what we're doing and why we're doing it the way we're doing, because there is a contest for who is the proper ruler of, of right. men and the earth. And the answer to that question is Jesus. Right. Amen. Well, thank you for your time, brother. Thank you. Pleasure being on. Thanks, Josh. Yep. Okay. All right. Is Blanky Dave still with us? Yeah, I'm here. I'm just uh, working on the news coverage and listening. Got any updates? Yeah, actually, um, I do, and this is a really big one. So um, this is uh, this um, this state is often um, what they call a bellwether state. Um, it's the state that usually, as this state goes, so goes the rest of the nation, and um, so. And this is this is this is really important. Um, a lot of people um, are aware, and um, yeah, somebody somebody made note. I just want to make note of this. Somebody in the comments was wondering about Nebraska not having its letters. So um, we had our tech team work on that, and we were able to to correct that oversight there. We have a very high there, tech. So. Uh, we have very high tech yes. uh, work on this show. Absolutely, we've, we've contracted so, out the uh, best. <clears throat> Yes, the absolute best. Um, you wouldn't even believe just the greatest team, greatest, uh, just just the best. Um, everybody says this is the this is the dankest podcast that we've heard. It's just so so good. So um, the best technology, the very best. Well, just look at the so, icon. That tells you everything you need to know. Exactly right there. So um, we appreciate Mr. Parker's work on that. So this state um, is. Uh, is yeah, like I said, it's kind of a bellwether state. It tends to be whichever way that the rest of the nation goes, or the way this state goes, the rest of the nation. Um, so this bodes well. Um, a, lo a lot of people are familiar with like the story of the pro of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. You know, there was one Elijah, and there were four hundred prophets of Baal. But you know, uh, Elijah ended up being the majority in that case, and so um, the 
the votes that have come in in the state of Ohio, um, the majority of the voters have uh, have gone in the direction of King Jesus. I cast my vote there. That's a majority right there because um, I'm with Jesus. So the state of Ohio, we're now calling for Jesus. The state of Florida as well is going for Jesus. Um, Incredible. We're not sure if Sarasota has anything to do with that or not, but um, at the very least, um, it is going for Jesus. And that is, that's really big. That was a state that actually flipped things in the 2000 election for the, um, for the, the two candidates that were there. Well, it but, probably will this election too. Yeah, absolutely. That, that right there is, is absolutely huge. Um, so we are, we're very excited about that. Um, as was mentioned earlier, um, the Lord is definitely having in derision the kings of the earth that have gathered themselves against the Lord and against his Christ. Um, and I'll be sharing, there's actually a world leader that um, I'll be sharing later um, is going to be releasing a statement um, regarding the king, the king Jesus, the kingdom of Jesus. So um, you can stay tuned for that. All right, back to our coverage. Okay, with us, we have... Um... We have our good friend, a good friend of the show, uh, Keyshawn Washington. Um, Keyshawn has, uh, he is writing under Urbanite Musings, KW. That's, uh, we'll put a, we'll try to get a, a link up to his blog there. Um, let me highlight you. Let's get you prominently placed. There we go. Welcome to the show. Thanks, man. It's good to have you with us. Well, we, what I wanted to talk to you about, Keyshawn, is um, what I've heard from a lot of my friends, a lot of my very well-meaning friends. So I, I, I think that the, that the Christian right and the Christian left, and there are Christian versions of both of those parts of the American spectrum, my friends on the Christian left have been telling me that, you know, if we really care about about the urban poor, if we really care about racial relations, if we really care about, you know, how to help the disenfranchised and the underserved and the disadvantaged, then we really need to get out the vote for, for Biden and, and disrupt the power structure of Trump. But, you know, and I, I think we would agree on this, that, that the state is not the answer to those situations. So what are we advocating for how, if we care about those issues, how, how do we look at it and what, what can we be doing and what should we be thinking about? Sure. So one of the ways that we can arrive at a good place on this, can you hear me fine? Yep, you're good. Okay. So one of the ways we can arrive at a good place on this is knowing what has best ministered to people, what have people appreciated, um, in my case, specifically urban context. So that's the context I'm going to speak out of, obviously. But, um, Dank City representing. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> you know, they say everybody who dies and goes to heaven will live in a city one day. So that's right. Um, why wait? Anyway, <laughs> um, so as I've, you know, I know so many people, such a diverse background, went to public school, played football, um, became a Mennonite, and traveled around the country, met a lot of good ones, bad ones, right? So, um, and then just attending a Mennonite church here in the city now. And so I've met a lot of diverse groups of people 
and and what has come with that has been being able to see some of these issues in real life versus social media you know and it gets frustrating when people come and they argue with you based off of things they've heard in the in virtual life in in um stuff like this this is all great but if you can't experience it in person if you can't experience right. it in real life then you're not really credible to share your to share authoritatively on on the issue and so what i've experienced is a lot of people saying well people aren't going to want to hear a message that's said this way people aren't going to want to hear a message that's said this way and, and almost every time what's missing is that true love that comes from Jesus, that's exemplified to us through Jesus. Um, and so when I when I um, point to Jesus and I say that Jesus is the, the way, the truth, the life, that this example is whole, is complete, this is enough. Like if we follow this example, well, we will be doing enough. Um, I mean it with all my heart. I mean it completely. And uh, I think that the issue with people who are who have rightfully so seen the hypocrisy and the, um, the clear wrong in a religious right, but are reverting to the religious left um, is, is there's always a, there's always a compromise and the kingdom of God is not a kingdom of compromise. It's a kingdom of, of um, dying to self and living and being born again. We, we are literally um, there's several ways to explain it. You know, um, slaves to Christ, warriors for Christ. Um, we're not operating our own will and our own desires. Um, our nature's changed. Right. And one way to measure whether or not we'll, we're loving people appropriately, whether or not we're on the right track here, is what is it costing us? And that's the scary thing about politics is we're voting to limit the cost, right? Mm -hmm. we're, we're voting Republican to limit how much this stuff affects us right? How much this affects our right to do what we want to do. And I just don't see biblical precedence for that. Um, I see a lot of suffering. I see a lot of um, joy in that suffering. I see redemptive work to happen through pain and fire and tears um, that God could be glorified. And instead, you see a, a large mass of God's people, and I could use air quotes there, God's people. I don't know what, um, how to define God's people in 2020. Um, but it, they're trying to eliminate the cost from love. Right. Right. And that's not what Jesus did. Um, Jesus wrestled with that. It hurt him like crazy. He didn't want to do it. He wanted to, he wanted to find another way. He, he didn't want to drink the cup. The disciples were confused. There was, why, why do we have to have a cost? Why do we have to have it cost so much? Um, and so we explain salvation as a, uh, as a free gift, but the truth is life after that salvation um, is going to cost us everything. Right. And any, any, whether it be left or right is a lie to, to try to tell us that somehow we can legislate an easier path to love. And that's the crazy thing. Going back to the way people, the way people um, in my life have experienced love and, and why I've not burned bridges, although I stand firmly for Christ, right? Uh, Non-resistant against abortion, against all these other things. You know, a liberal would hate me, right? But there's something deeper than these political views. 
it's it's all based in a love for Christ. It doesn't mean that I'm gonna that everywhere I come out on political issues is the way of God. That I'm I'm in, I'm fallible, right? Um, right. But but everything that I decide and every every decision I come to as a teacher, you know, I teach high school and middle school students. Every decision that we come to is is coming from the paradigm of that love and that character of Jesus. And I think what we've seen is the Christian, especially the right, but I think the Christian left as well, has lost that um, that savor. The salt has lost its its savor. It's completely lost its its um, appeal to people, its appeal to others. And and the gospel is harder to get out to Americans today because of hypocrisy that we see in in these people who are not focusing their attention on love, but are focusing their attention on somehow limiting the cost, somehow selfishly. And maybe there are good intentions. I think there are people who really do think this is a matter of, of life and death, and it is. But that's where the world of darkness goes. That's right. where we are headed. We are headed, and, and there is death. And I, I'll end with this. Sometimes I wonder if these people had grown up where I did, where death was a constant reality. You know, you lost your cousins, you lost your friends, you lost people to gun to gunfire, you lost people to. Um, I have a friend get hit by a car not too far from me when I was younger. I, I, I had a, experienced a lot of death when I was younger, and so it wasn't this this thing that I could just look at from the outside and say we have to legislate us, ourselves away from that. I realized that it was a part of a part of life that we couldn't avoid that that we had to live through, and so when I found Jesus. It wasn't that I said, ah, Jesus is going to, we need to find leaders that also love Jesus so they can legislate this terrible stuff out of the cities and end abortion and end gun violence and end all these things. Because I never believed that could actually happen. And there's nothing in scripture that gives us an idea that that's coming, that salvation or that safety is coming through the government. That's not happening. And, and so as someone who came from the streets to love Jesus, the only message that's worth hearing is that in all this mess is a God that is that is loving, that is perfect, and that wants a relationship with you. And and the political left, Christian left, Christian right, um, has sadly lost that, severely lost it. Right. I think you're and, right. I, and everybody a- in my life is saying the same thing. Like, the friends from the city are like, I don't know what we're going to do, but I know we got to stay away from the Christians because they're they're the worst in all of this. And that just that's a terrible testimony. Right. It doesn't need to be that way. I, I think one of the root problems in, in in so this is an ancient problem for God's people, right? Where are we finding help? What's the solution to our problems? Mm-hmm. And I think that oftentimes when we communicate that we should really be investing in the kingdom and not abandoning our hope in Christ. And, and, and chasing after legislative power, political power in this land, that, that people think of us as idealists, as utopians, but it really isn't. I think what that displays is that we don't really believe in the power of changed lives. And I think mm-hmm. from, your, from your path on the streets and my path on the streets, very different, we know the power of a changed life. We know that yeah. God can reach out to the very bottom because we were it, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm as I'm as low as you can go. I'm in as bad a state as a man can be. 
and God reached out not through these other things, but through through His people, through His grace, and through His Spirit, and 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 that has power to really change the world. And it really is both my my message to both the Christian left and the Christian right is reframe your hope in Christ. That making mm-hmm. that that quality is more important than quantity. Three yeah. real disciples have more potential in God's kingdom than thousands of voters. Thousands. And, it re- and Matthew, it's important for us to say this because a lot of people out there do, don't have this experience. Even people who have been doing urban missions, overseas missions for years have never had disciples. As someone who has had disciples, who has disciples, who has seen this work change lives, it does work to focus yep. on Jesus. Right. And in fact, it's only going to work that way. If you need any more right. proof of that, look around at the mission, look at the effectiveness. Right. And, and, and you find an effective disciple, you have found someone that has grounded that completely on Jesus Christ. Okay. Yep. They have not shaped the political opinions of the people they're discipling. They have not shaped those things. It was first and always, and still is Jesus Christ. And, Amen. and that, and that, that works. Believe it. It really does. Well, one thing that I, I hear whenever I hear you speak, Keyshawn, and, and this is interesting because, you know, as, as Anabaptists, we say that we believe in a Jesus-centered theology and a Jesus-centered hermeneutic, but sometimes that just becomes, uh, you know, a, another theological position. And and you're, <laughs> I heard, I hear the word Jesus in pretty much every sentence that you speak, and, and it's, I can tell it's not just a Anabaptist theological position of Christocentrism. It's, it's a real... To, to you, he's a real and living person. And I think that's that's the heart of, you know, what the original Anabaptists discovered. And, and that's really what it's about. So that's that's really inspiring. Amen. Praise God. Well, thanks for your time with us tonight, Keyshawn. Mm-hmm. I, I, I won't tell everybody that I had to twist your arm a little bit to get you with us. <laughs> I, I saw the flyer. I'm like, oh, that's how they're going to do me, huh? <laughs> You saw the flyer and you said, I guess that's a yes. I guess I, I guess I got to come on then. Huh? Yeah. You're right in between Finney Kerville and David Bursell. You can't miss up on that. <laughs> and I stick out usually anyway. I don't really look like those. Well, Finney, never mind. Anyway, good to be on, guys. See you. Thanks, brother. Peace. Thanks so much for coming. Okay, well, it's time for another election update. It's... Um, it's 8.30 Pacific time, and, and results are coming in. Where are we at, Dave? All right. Things are pretty, things are pretty quiet. I know there was a lot of, uh, a lot of fear about um, you know, violence and so on, and I've been watching the news specifically for that. And so far, things, have, things seem to be pretty peaceful, um, and we're thankful for that. We mm-hmm. continue to pray that um, for the for uh, peace in our country. Um, we know that that's well-pleasing to God, um, regardless of who is in power, that, um, that his people can live a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. Um, so hey, I, Dave, have, Dave, uh, can I interrupt you just for a second? Yeah, go uh, absolutely. I, I know that some of, some of our coverage is a little tongue in cheek, but what you just said is really, really serious. I, I would love actually, if you would just lead us in a short prayer that there'd be peace in our country tonight. Would you mind doing that? Absolutely. Please do. Our Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you're the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and that you rule and reign in the affairs of men. 
we thank you that you have given us the blessing to live um, like people haven't had the opportunity to live for most of human history in a place where many of us that are listening, I know we heard what Kishan said about, um, you know, death right, right at the, at the door. And Lord, many of us, we, we, we don't even know what that's like. We've had the opportunity to live in a, in a place where we don't have to fear for our lives. We've a relative peace and, and stability. Um, and that's a blessing. And Lord, we know that you're pleased when people, even those that don't know you, um, rest in the shade of your kingdom um, where there's peace um, with the Prince of Peace. We pray, Lord, for our country. We pray that the leaven of the gospel would, um, would be um, active in our country tonight, that, um, that you would rebuke the powers of darkness, that you would um, vanquish the demons that would stir up war. Yes. We know there's many on the left and there's many on the right who've made a lot of statements about how, um, how they feel that violence is an answer. Mm-hmm. But Lord, we know that, um, that you said that it's pleasing to you when people live in peace. So we follow tonight Paul's exhortation that, um, that we make prayers and supplications, giving of thanks for all men, especially those in authority, that we can live a quiet and peaceable life in godliness and honesty. For this is pleasing, well acceptable in your sight. And Lord, we also pray um, the rest of that passage talks about your desire that all men should be saved. And Lord, we know that that includes Donald Trump. We know that includes Joe Biden. We know that includes Nancy Pelosi and Harry Reid and the other the others that walk the halls of power in Washington, yeah. D.C. Lord, we pray that the Spirit of God would speak to their hearts. We pray the Spirit of God would draw them into a knowledge of the upside down kingdom, the other kingdom. We pray that you would call them out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your dear son, that they would come to a knowledge of you, that they'd walk after you and follow you. And we pray for peace, Lord, peace for our nation, peace for the world. We pray for those that are sick. We pray for all the, um, all the unrest that you would quell it um, by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus, who lives and reigns with you with the Holy Ghost, one God forever and ever. Amen. 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 Thank you. Okay, let's get back to our results there, David. What were you saying? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we are, um, yeah, we're looking at um, more polls closing. And thankfully, like I said, we don't have a lot of unrest. Um, a few of the states, um, the South is starting to get called. We're seeing... Um, we're seeing 62% of the votes come in for, um, for Donald Trump in, in Oklahoma. We're seeing, uh, they're calling Arkansas for Donald Trump with 0% of the vote called. Um, so I guess they thought that's a no-brainer. Ditto with Mississippi and Alabama. Alabama has 50% of the votes that have been counted. There's been 1,800 votes counted. 50% of those have gone for Donald Trump. So I guess that's enough to call it. So um, our network is... Um, has is, is operating on different information than what they have um so we're actually going to be calling those states as well for the lord jesus um oklahoma and um arkansas mississippi alabama and even i can't, a lot see, of people, I, I can't see your screen oh i apologize yes let me let me do my screen let me, let me we see neither screen. your face nor the map yes all right well there we go. Okay, our high tech map is back up and running. Oh, so yeah, we called the states here, um, and also, and this is actually surprising to a lot of people. Um, 
uh, is actually uh, Louisiana is also going for the Lord Jesus. Now we know that Los, uh, New Orleans is there. A lot of people look at wickedness there, and and um, we hear a lot of things about that. That's obviously uh, if you listen, depends on who you listen to. Why Hurricane Katrina hit there? Um, obviously, uh, we would have questions about that. But surprisingly, to some people, Los uh, Los Angeles, yeah, Los Angeles, not Chris yet, not yet. I'm seeing L.A., but unfortunately, we can't call California at this point. But Louisiana is also going for King Jesus. Um, he is um, he is the king of Los Angeles. He's the king of our. Uh, he's the king of Los Angeles. We're just uh, haven't called the rest of the state yet. Of Louisiana and New Orleans, um, I gotta change that. Maybe need to type that out with my high tech thing, so I don't keep saying <laughs> Los Angeles. But um, yes, yeah, so the South, um, the Bible Belt is under the reign of King Jesus. That's like, that's so, actually the most surprising announcement <laughs> you've made here tonight. <laughs> that the Bible Belt is under the reign of King Jesus. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, some of them don't know it yet, but it's true. So, it's right there in their um, Bible. So oh yeah, exactly. I was actually, I actually had a conversation. Um, I actually had a conversation for. Uh, um. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm reading the comments here. I had a conversation with somebody recently about the kingdom of Jesus, and he was telling me that um, he said. What was surprising to him was that all of this stuff about Jesus being king was in the Bible all this time, and he just didn't notice it. Going to church his whole life, but um, he said, "I just it's right. It's been right there in front of my eyes the whole time." So I was glad to tell him about the kingdom of it's, our Lord. It's Jesus. also kind of in his name, you know, Christ. Yeah, yeah right. Absolutely. Anointed so that's, one uh, king. That's a real shock to some people. So, all right. Um, well, it, it, before you drop that map, you know, it's um, it's historically very difficult to to make uh, uh, prognostications about election results. I, and and what was fact, the word can, you just used, Matthew? Prognostications, predictions. So why didn't you just say prediction? Well, we have more <laughs> than one word for everything in English. <laughs> <laughs> So anyhow, it's it's a it can actually even cause problems. You know, there's the the media has had to be careful, and I think we need to we need to be careful as well because the media has a lot of power and they can sway elections. You know, by the time the West Coast closes, people still voting in the East Coast, and and it's an important responsibility that we have on ourselves tonight. So. I want to take all that and be conscious of it. Two things I want to say. I really, really hope to find by the end of the night that my own state where I live, Massachusetts, is going to be called for Jesus. I'm very hopeful that that will be an outcome there. But but I'm going to, you know, it looks, it, I know it's a little early in the night, but there's some early indicators that this could be a sweep. Uh, that's, I don't want to put too much in it, but. Yeah. It's looking very promising for the kingdom of God tonight. There, there really is a lot of purple going on. And I know that there's been like, like our last election in 2016, the polls were, were pretty far off, you know, um, and, right. and there's a big, a big shocker. So, I mean, it, things could turn around. I, I think that Biden and Trump still have a path to victory. Like, I don't, I don't want to get my hopes up too far, but I mean, if this is any indication of, of the way the rest of the country is going, it, yeah, like I said, it's it's looking fairly purple at this point. I mean, there really isn't yeah. 
any any red or blue going on yeah it's well this is actually um this is actually just in and this is a really big one um that that i'm ready to call now if i can if i can there we go i'm gonna pull my map up um i had was in another screen there and this is this is a big deal because um uh, if you can if you're able to storm the enemy's headquarters um where his strongest base is um you're really able to it, it really shows that you're on a winning streak and we are actually prepared at this point to call new york uh donald trump's home state oh. um for king jesus that's gotta uh, hurt so that is a, that is a major upset um we've we we knew that we knew he had it in him we really did uh, we know the passages where um, where Jesus is said is uh, that he you know he led captivity captive. He even took um, even took Manhattan. Uh, he led captivity captive in Long Island and so forth. So Jesus coming and um, yeah storming the headquarters. He said the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So I don't think I don't really think New York had a chance. That's, that's um, big news. Big news. All right, so. Um, in other news, um, I will be sharing um, some uh, a message from a um, a major world leader. I'm back on my camera. I'm sorry. Somebody was telling me that um, that they wished I'd keep my camera off, but uh, I think mostly because that's people are worried about uh, my attic that's up there. Okay, I just don't have a I just don't have a trap door on the attic. But I know people in the comments have been um, have been really bothered by. Uh, bothered by that so that's what's up there is the attic I'm, i will take you on the tour but you know we've got an attic so that's this is our our high-tech studio here um we put we put all our money with it came down between the trap door and the attic and the high-tech uh equipment right. we're using for the uh for this election thing tonight so this um, stuff we doesn't just happen by itself yeah absolutely you don't get these kind of production values just from anywhere well, right, we, exactly. we, we, we um, have another segment coming on. It's one of our bigger segments for the evening, and we're a little bit ahead of schedule. So I think we're going to go ahead and move forward tonight. Okay, we have well, with, he's ready. Let's have it. Tonight we have with us uh, my friend and a dear brother. Um, it's been had an important ministry for many, many of us. Brother David Brousseau is joining us. As soon as he gets on here, there he is. You with us, David? I'm with you. Can you see me? I can. Welcome. Welcome to our podcast. We're so glad to have you with us, brother. Am I live? You're live. We're on. Okay. Can you introduce yourself? Can you give us a hi? I'm David Berceau. Yeah, well, I'm David Berceau. <laughs> what are we going to be talking about tonight? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and we're going to be talking about the election, <laughs> voting, and politics. We're a yes. Christian, and all of that. Yeah. So, so let me let me start us out here, David. You you wrote a book, one uh, one that I really really appreciate. We actually use it in my homeschool for American history, called uh, "In God We Don't Trust." Can you can you give us a quick sketch outline of what the premise of that book is? Sure. The well, let me first state why the book was written. Um, yeah, it was meant as a direct answer to a book entitled The Light and the Glory, 
that was written by an evangelical Christian, I think in the 1970s, and that was presenting the God and country scenario that America is God's country. The American Revolution was something very godly and that sort of thing. So the book was meant as an answer to that, to explain that the American Revolution, the people who participated in that were directly disobeying God. Jesus told us to pay taxes to Caesar, and that was the big issue, you know, no taxation without representation. Right. And so that was what the book was written to show that no, America is not the city on the hill that Jesus talked about. It's not God's country. Now, it was not intended to be an anti-American book. It was giving the other side to the claim that this is God's cherished country. Yeah, right. There's some important things in there. You know, I think that the political conversations that we've been having today, a, a lot of our a lot of our friends and even some of our brothers who are very um, have been very taken up with with Trumpism have been quick to point out the hypocrisy of people rioting and protesting. But when we look at America's history, that's really our origin. Yeah. Um it's been there from the very start of um, lack of lawlessness and, and really disobedience to God's order. So, yeah, when we want to try to imagine that the agenda of America has been Christ's agenda, well, everything he teaches goes against that. And again, I say America, it's not picking on America versus, say, if we were British or French right. or something like that. It's all, all of the nations are fallen. Right. Well, so I think what a lot of us are seeing and, and noticing is that there is a real pull and push for the affections of God's people. And, and we're seeing that manifest in two different ways. There's a very, there's a very Trumpian version of onslaught against the kingdom of God right now and calling people to reject Marxism, to reject liberalism, to reject rioting and protesting, to reject all these kinds of like uh, talking points of the right. And that's really sweeping a large segment of our people who have for a long time professed allegiance to the kingdom of God. But then there's also a large number of us who are being swept away on the exact other stream where there's an embrace of of even voting for the Democratic Party and embracing liberalism in the American spectrum. How, how do we navigate, what, as an older brother in our communities, how do we navigate this draw of our affection? Because I think it plays to different people, right? Some people are more prone to that argument from the political right, and some people are more prone to that argument from the political left. How do we stay centered on Christ with all those things calling for our affections? Yeah, I think we should realize that both camps are trying to create a kingdom of God here on earth based on their own vision rather than based on Christ's vision. And each of them have some good points and each have evil points, but neither one is God's kingdom. They are both expressions of fallen mankind and neither side remotely embraces the full spectrum of the teachings of Christ. Imagine, for example, the, the left that would 
and I have friends in both camps who often see themselves as just really in the embodiment of, of Christ and his, and his teachings, but I don't see them teaching love your enemy. Right. I see them teaching forgive people for wrongs that have been done to you. And then, of course, they promote a lot of things that go very against the uh, teachings in the New Testament. And then on the right, um, there's often been uh, very wicked things done in the name of the Bible by conservative uh, Christians through the years, particularly in the South. Um, so, yeah, both of them have brought a lot of reproach on uh, the name of Jesus, and they're trying to substitute his for his kingdom something that men have created, which fall very short of, of his ideals, and, and his not just ideals, but his teachings, and I should say the reality of the kingdom of God. There's um there's a really interesting biography that was done by E. Stanley Jones of of Gandhi. Uh, they were they were contemporaries and friends, and one of the things that E. Stanley Jones remarks about about what made Gandhi unique was that he never accepted the premise that the ends justify the means. He thought that everything mattered how you did it. And that's, um, I, I think of him often as somebody, you know, Jesus said, he mentions these other people that are rise up in the judgment. Uh, he mentions uh, uh, Nineveh. He mentions if Tyre and Sidon had had one, like one preaching, they would have repented long ago. And I think the the, the consistency that we've seen, even in non-Christians, in looking at this issue that you cannot justify the, the means by the ends, like it doesn't matter your intentions. And I think uh, what I'm really hoping to, to reignite among our people is an idea that we have to do things a certain way. We have to do it by Christ, that co-opting these powers, whether whatever their intentions are, I don't care if we're trying to feed the homeless or stop the spread of communism. You can't use coercive methods for the church. Yeah, I think Paul's words in uh, Corinthians, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? So that's the problem with politics. You are joining yourself, you're interlocking yourself with people who either don't even profess to be believers, who often profess to be enemies of Christ, or people who profess to be Christians but are not living by Christ's teachings. And yes, who do believe in using military might to get their ends across or to use political might to to do that and to uh i mean like i don't know how it will turn out the election but if it's like so many of the past ones it'll be 51 percent versus 49 percent and the that one percent margin will impose their will on the other 49 percent and it's just hey it's too bad for you you know we won by one percent so whatever our agenda is that's going to be forced on you that's not the way of Jesus, you know, of trying to work together and bring about true harmony by listening to the other side, 
so much of politics is uh, demonizing your opponent. You know, right? What the opponent is saying in black colors that are a caricature of really what either the right or the left are, are saying, and reducing everything to simplistic slogans really don't represent the truth. And when we get involved in that, even if it's only mentally, I, I don't know very many kingdom Christians who are voting. I mean, I know of many who are, but I don't know very, very many personally. But I do know so many have gotten so caught up in the political discussions. They don't go out and vote, but wow, mentally, they've already bought into one camp or the other. And I'm going to quote Tertullian. You, you maybe have heard this quote before, but to me, he said it so well. He said, so long as you deem yourself a Christian, you are a different man from a pagan. And you can put in there a worldly Christian, whatever. Give him back his own view of things. After all, he himself does not learn from your views. Why lean upon a blind guide when you have eyes of your own? And that is what we're doing. We're letting the world's thinking get into our minds. They don't adopt the kingdom Christian viewpoint, the teachings of Jesus, not his real teachings. Like you say, Gandhi came closer in many respects than so many professing Christians do. Uh, so why are we adopting their thinking? We already have our kingdom. We already have the truth in Jesus Christ. And that's, that's what we should be promoting, not politically, but by going out and spreading the good news of the kingdom. That's the commission he gave us, not to go out and build up the kingdoms of this world, but to build up his kingdom. So an, an analogy that is often used is that we are, or it's a, a biblical analogy, is that we're ambassadors. So I, I heard you warning us against, even if we don't vote against getting involved in a lot of those ideological debates and taking up sides, um, but as an ambassador, we're, we're also supposed to represent the ethics of the kingdom of heaven into relevant cultural conversations. So how can we do that without getting sucked into the same polarizing rhetoric? I think it's because the teachings of Jesus are relevant in every century. They're the same in every century. They're always countercultural. They're always politically incorrect. Whatever century you want to pick, Jesus' teachings always fit that, that mold. So by promoting his teachings, it fits our culture, but it's going to be counterculture. It's going to be politically incorrect. A lot of people who talk about, well, we have to speak to our culture, what they really mean is we have to compromise his teachings to fit what is popular in our culture. And that's something Jesus didn't do. He didn't allow himself to get pulled into the political issues of his day. He stayed out of them. Paul and the apostles, they never get pulled into those discussions. Their focus is on the kingdom of God. How can we expand it? How can we keep uh, bringing about its teachings within the church? I mean, if the church isn't living it, how can we hope that the world will be living it? I mean, we need to be focusing on the church, truly embracing the teachings of Jesus Christ and living them out. I wonder sometimes, David, if you've noticed this too, that it seems like people aren't content with 
with living their Christianity in within their sphere. I think it's something about the American ego that we think that we have this kind of sense of self that we're supposed to change the entire world instead of our own sphere. Like it's been super disappointing to watch people like Shane Claiborne, who literally wrote the book called Jesus for President, now become a shill for the Democratic Party and and spend all this time talking about how we have to vote for Joe Biden. And I I wonder if, it, if we're just not content having humble lives that affect the people around us. And we always are reaching out for how big can we make our footprint? How much can we, can we do with our life instead of just focusing on what's in front of us? Do you think that's an issue that we deal with? Uh, yeah, I think you put it so well that it's this idea that Jesus was all about changing lives, changing the inner person, bringing them to become his disciple, not imposing his will. And here, this is our Lord, this is our creator who had every right to impose his will on everyone else. But he chose not to do it, even though he had the power to, absolute, the absolute power to do it, to make it a voluntary thing on the part of others. But yeah, once Christians with Constantine got that taste of political power and saw that, wow, instead of just being able to impact people individually, by reaching to their hearts, well, we can just impose this on a whole society. And they tried to do that with Constantine and his successors. And they did bring about some good laws, but in the end, they got totally sucked into the system and totally corrupted by it. So that when people look at the history of, quote, Christianity, what was happening in the Middle Ages and in all those periods, I mean, people are turned off and they blame Christ because his followers or people who claim to be his followers, instead of doing it his way, were trying to do it man's way. And, and it was a terrible disaster. Just recently, I was listening to a, a podcast. I don't know if you listened to this. I say a podcast. It's, it's not an ongoing one. It's called 12 Byzantine Rulers. Have you ever listened to that, Matthew? I know you're a history buff. No, I'll have yeah, let to me look it up, though. It. It's yeah, it's, it's out there. I've listened to it twice just because of my interest in history. But this last time, I couldn't help but thinking that the guy who does it, Lars Brownsworth, I'm assuming he's orthodox. I, I'm, I'm not sure of that. But he's presenting the Byzantine Empire in, in the best light. In other words, he's behind it, you know. And so this is not a podcast trying to show how evil it was. But listening to it as a kingdom Christian, it's like, this is terrible. This is what Christianity was reduced to, and that people can't see just how utterly wicked this is. And the West, that, that was the Eastern Empire. The West was probably far more wicked than the, than the East was. So, I mean, it is, yeah, I, I would recommend that just because, like I say, he's not trying to portray it as evil. But, yeah, it, I think, would come out to any honest-minded kingdom Christian. Yeah, that's great. Does any Dave or Titus do you have any other questions for David while we've got him? You're Dave, you're, you're muted, you're Dave. Muted. We got you. Dave, you're muted. 
Oh, I just wanted to say thanks. Thanks a bunch for being with us. It's seriously a, uh, an honor to have you on. We really appreciate your time. Do you, um, do you have anything, any upcoming projects people should be watching for, David? What's happening with the historic faith? We should give a plug for that while you're on. Um, well, you know, we are doing uh, interviews every uh, month or so uh, on them on, on just various topics. I think Finney's going to be doing one in um, November on evangelism uh, in the early church. Uh, as far as my personal projects, right now I'm working on an early Christian commentary on the book of Romans. And mm. what did that book mean before Augustine? And <laughs> It definitely was understood quite differently before Augustine came on the scene. So I'm having fun right now. I'm in the digging stage trying to embrace all that they were saying or, and comprehending it, and then to be able, hopefully, to put it out in easy-to-understand language for others. That's great. And the, the early Christian commentary Matthew is out now, right? Yes. Uh, volume 1, which is the first 13 chapters, which deals so much with the kingdom of God, what we should yeah. be seeking, putting our efforts into instead of the political process of this world. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time, David. It's a, it's a real pleasure and an honor to have you with us tonight. Okay. Thanks a lot. Good talking to all of you. Thanks, all right. David. Peace, brother. Okay. Well, that was... That was fun. We've got Finney coming up in a little while. Yeah, good stuff. The the one who the one who inspired the meme page in the first place. Yeah, David right. Brousseau. Brousseau plus. <laughs> both yeah, of the first right. two he was memes. One of our very first memes. Yeah, both of the first two memes were about David Brousseau. So here, here he is, ladies and gentlemen. Well, we've got we've got about five minutes till our next segment. All right. Well, we have a lot of states to call. A lot of states have come in. Um, so I'm gonna we're gonna we're gonna take care of that. Unfortunately, I'm sorry, Chris, but we haven't um, we haven't managed to get um, to get uh, California called yet. Things are still there. It's just too close to call. Um, yeah, if it's too bad, Chris isn't still out there. You might be you might be able to to pull it over. But, um, Here's what we have. Um, a lot of states, as you can see, it's a serious sweep going on. Um, and unfortunately, we have a few. We have a few things. I don't know if the Otaries haven't had a chance to um, to get to the polls yet there in Michigan, but um, hopefully they do that before too long. Um, put your votes in King Jesus. And Georgia also is a holdout, so somebody maybe message Dwight or something, tell him to get with it. Anyway, but as you can see. Um, Jesus is definitely doing um, doing an amazing job here, uh, much better than than most of the pundits had been predicting. Um, in just a little bit, we're going to be going to the man on the street, man on the street interview. So um, are we ready for that at this time, Matthew? Well, uh, just one minute before we do, but we want to we want to go. We do have some man on the street interviews coming up. But Dave, uh, tell me, tell, let's talk for just one second about election tampering. It's been a big issue with this election. And one of the big concerns has been that people would vote more than once. What, what does it mean for all the people that are voting for Jesus tonight 
are they are there are there reasons, legal reasons or moral reasons they can't vote more than once? How, how many times can a person vote? How many allegiances does a person have to give? Well, there's there really is only only one allegiance. Um, you know, if, when you when you're voting for one guy, um, I mean, that was actually an issue back in 2000 where um, a bunch of people, a bunch of the ballots were disqualified because it appeared that some of the people had voted twice. Um, and that's what that that's the way it is. You can't you literally can't vote for two people. Now, um, I know some states are, rule, are, are rolling out the ranked choice concept where, um, you know, you're able to vote for, for, you know, your first pick and your second pick and your third pick. Um, so that's coming in, in some states. So there may be some discussion around that. But at this point, um, you, you really have one vote to cast. And um, I know I cast mine for cool. Jesus. I think everybody here on this podcast have done the same it's it's a little Uh, confusing though because i have seen trump 2020 signs in the same yard as jesus 2020 is there some way we could we could somehow mix those two together do you think or um i I feel like their political platforms are are significantly different um and and just to go i just want to go on record as saying that i would also feel that um biden's um it also differs significantly from Jesus. So I know it's a, is a common idea that a lot of people have that, um, that, that if you're, you know, if you're not voting for one, you're definitely voting for the other, you know, the lesser of two evils, but I'm glad to say that I am voting for the least of all evils. Um, in fact, he's not only the, no the least evil. of all. Are you on the no evil ticket? To bear away the evil of the world. So he's carrying it all away. So, um, and yeah, we are yeah. receiving word then that Georgia, um, apparently a couple people are getting on it now. And also, so we've, we, we pretty much have it locked up. Um, I'm sorry wow. to be able to say that, um, I'd like to say Jonathan Martin there in Arizona, um, or, or maybe you're in New Mexico. Maybe he did that. Okay. So anyway, we still have the West, the South, the Southwest. That, that Marxist um, West Coast is holding out. Exactly. Well, the polls, polls still have closed. So um, I know Chris is still biting his fingernails and, and really hoping and praying. So um, we'll hopefully have the rest of the West Coast. and We'll let you know if it's been a sweep. Um, we were able to call Alaska and Hawaii pretty early um, because there's, there's very low population. It became very obvious early on that Jesus was in a lead there. Um, and continues to do so. So that's well, that's what we have now. Yeah, let's 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 move on. I, I, I would just I, I think it's our our responsibility as a media outlet to inform people that you can't vote more than once. That's um, it's, absolutely it's immoral, unethical, and illegal. Uh, I don't know if America is going to do anything about that, but the church should. Let's make sure that people are only only pledging their allegiance to one one ruler and you, you know go. who that is just look at the map <laughs> where are uh do we have anthony with us anthony are you back on here yes we are let's let's drop your screen share there dave i hear children yep. oh hey hi well uh right. anthony is in is in uh arkansas and we wanted to we wanted to break to him and find out how people are doing with the election there. There's been a lot of tension in the air. There's a lot of fear. People are on on the edge of their seat. Are people in Arkansas, the people that you're around there, are they are they worried about the results tonight? The the people I'm with are actually really upbeat because we saw the the result that you guys reported. We saw this coming a long time back. So 
um, we got together to celebrate earlier this evening and we've been, um, you know, celebrating Jesus kingship here together in this little house church gathering. And I'm here with Andrew. Um, his house is where we're meeting tonight and where we're having our election party. And um, yeah, he's, he's been, he put together the liturgy for tonight and um, he's, do you have anything to say about well, we got sparklers and, and everything because it's a it's a celebration and we want to celebrate right. And we're just reading through some scriptures of from Genesis all the way through Revelation of how Jesus became king and a, and a valid political authority for once in human history and uh, singing some songs. That's great. Why don't you do you have something you guys can share with us with the audience? Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll go ahead and sing one of our songs. From this evening and uh, then we'll have a reading oh Charlotte's going to read um, something that we use as our Pledge of Allegiance here, and uh, so we'll give the floor to her. Today we pledge our ultimate allegiance to the kingdom of God. We pledge allegiance to a peace that is not like Rome's, to the gospel of enemy love, to the kingdom of the poor and broken. We, we pledge allegiance. To a king that loves his enemies so much he died for them, to the least of these with whom Christ dwells, to the transnational church that transcends the artificial borders of nations. 
we pledge allegiance. To the refugee of Nazareth, to the homeless rabbi who had no place to lay his head, to the cross rather than the sword. We pledge allegiance. To the banner of love above any flag, to the one who rules with a towel rather than an iron fist, to the one who rides a donkey rather than a war horse. We pledge allegiance. To the revolution that sets both oppressed and oppressors free, to the way that leads to life, to the slaughtered land. We pledge allegiance. And together we pro proclaim his praises from the margins of the empire to the centers of wealth and power. Long live the slaughtered lamb. Long live the slaughtered lamb. Long live the slaughtered lamb. Thank you. That's Man. all we have to share tonight. Long we live Jesus. That. We we need those. We need the we need the words for that pledge. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll uh, link to them in the show notes. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Excellent. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Okay, um, Titus, uh, we have our next guest now. All right. Let's bring him in. Why don't you start the introductions? Sure. Uh, joining us is Dr. Finney Curavilla from Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, no stranger to most of, of who's watching, I'm sure. He's uh, the founder of Sattler College, um, helped start Followers of the Way there with, with Matthew, and the author of, of King Jesus Claims His Church. So uh, thanks for joining us tonight, Finney. Good to be with you. Welcome, Finn. It's good to see you. Good to see you, Brother Matthew. How are you? Good. Very good. Yeah. So we've been talking a lot about, um, you know, the, the allegiance that a lot of Americans have for the political left and, and the political right and about the kingdom of God. And, and I want to talk a little bit about how we can effectively invite people to come under the reign of Jesus. Uh, we were just talking to David Berceau, and he said that you're producing some content about evangelism for the historic faith. So what are some ways that, that we can share that, that message of the kingdom in a, in a compelling way so that people actually are willing to, to put their allegiance in King Jesus and become citizens of his nation? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. Um, the, I, I think one of the things that we first want to say when we talk about evangelism, you know, is we're, we're always enticed by the prospect of a, of a silver bullet. We're, we're always looking for, is there some, is there some angle that we can take that's going to be this, this very compelling phrase or, or story to tell that is somehow going to, going to push us over there. And and, and the reality is, is that 90% of evangelism is, is actually just internal heart work and it's internal preparation of having yourself be in a place of humility, dependence on God, crying out, fasting, living a life of structuring your schedule around evangelism and spending time with non-Christians. And I, I just, I find that we continually fall into this, this trap of, of looking for that, that, that clever one-liner and they, Hey, they're out there and they're great. And you know, they're, they're good to use, but, but it, there's a, there's this principle, which is called the law of the farm and the law of the farm basically just says that you can't rush the most important things, right? If you're a farmer and you're trying to 
grow uh, a crop, you're not going to be able to do that in a way that is going to take a couple of weeks. It's going to take months and a lot of labor. And and I wonder to what extent we're we're just trying to short circuit that and imagine that there's some kind of wand we can wave to get over that. So I'll, I'll say that one of the best gauges of this is looking at your calendar, right? And just simply looking and, and saying like, how much time am I engaging with those who are not Christians? How much time am I spending there? And then also looking at your own private times of walking with God devotionals. Am I truly at the point where I'm, I'm weeping and I'm, I'm laboring in my soul there. When Paul describes his enterprise of evangelism, he describes it as travail of labor, you know, speaking of the, the metaphor of childbirth. And yeah. whether you've seen childbirth or not, we all know that it's, it's painful and intense and it's something that requires a lot of, a lot of labor. So I hate to give the, the, the non, <laughs> the answer that requires a lot of pain and suffering there, but I, I really think that's, that's what it's about. It's getting to that place of compassion and saying like, is this person the desire of my heart? Do I really, as I look at this individual, do I really feel moved and am I compelled to action there? Yeah. I, I've done a fair amount of street evangelism here in the States and it's been fairly unfruitful. And in the last while we've been focusing more on visiting scholars at the University of Virginia, international students, and have found them to be much more open to the gospel. So I've kind of told people, and, and this is probably not a great place to be at, but I don't have a lot of hope for Americans at this point. It seems like there's just such a, a hardness to the gospel. And, and I, I know that that's, that's not true. I mean, it, that God wants to change everyone's hearts, and, and he is the answer for Americans, but have, have you noticed that pattern? And what are, what are some ways that we can engage Americans with the gospel when they've been so jaded by um, evangelicalism? Yeah, there's, there's a principle that we learned from, from David where he, he says, may I not be so poor that I steal and, and neither may I be so rich that I forget you. And there's this, this principle there that there's this sort of just right place where your heart is is not uh, seduced by wealth, but nor are you so preoccupied with getting your next meal that you can't even listen there. And and I think you're right that for a lot of the the, the typical American there, they're, they're probably in the too wealthy, too preoccupied state. And what a lot of people do then is they swing to like, oh, I'm gonna do homeless ministry and I'm gonna try to identify people there. Well, that's probably going from one pole to the other, not that it's not worth trying, but in fact, I think you're you're onto something there with what you said there, Titus. That that the vast majority of people who are converting, truly being coming into the kingdom, are international. The, there's a, a a good friend of mine here who works on the Harvard campus, and he has said that 80 percent, 80 percent of all of the new uh, conversions that are occurring are believe it or not, not just internationals, but Chinese internationals. And then yeah. the remaining 20 are, are still a lot of internationals there as well. And so there's something about this heart of gratitude, of having a little and really being able to appreciate the things of God that, that makes us good soil to receive the gospel. So I would, I would encourage that general direction and say that I think you're right with internationals, with, with those who are, who are students, with those who are hungry, there's a, you're much more likely to be casting your seed on fertile soil. Yeah. 
One thing that Americans are really into is politics. It, it seems like politics have become the new religion and what used to capture people's ideological imaginations with religious and theological topics is now political topics. And one thing we've been talking a lot about tonight is how the, the gospel is political. Um, and, and so how can we present the gospel in a way that, that captures the imagination of Americans who are, who are obsessed with politics and are more interested in those things than in, in spiritual things? Yeah, there's um, there's a couple thoughts that I would expand there. The the first is that I think it's a good impulse to go to those who want to engage in political ways. So one of the one of the concepts in evangelism is we want to look for 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 fish that are biting, fish that are hungry, people that want to change the world, who want to do great things, and just like the Apostle Paul, who was so determined to advance the cause of Judaism. He took all that energy and when he was converted, he now aimed that at, at the gospel of the kingdom. And in a similar way, there's a lot of people out there that are trying to change the world through politics, whether from the right or from the left. And however, however misguided they, they might be and the means, I think the actual spirit behind it of trying to serve, trying to somehow improve the world is a good, is a good notion that we can validate. And of course, what we're offering is, okay, keep that desire to, to change the world, but apply it in, in the kingdom. And there's a couple of things specifically that I would say that we should be doing. The first is certainly recovering the, the political dimensions of the gospel and, and how just saturated the New Testament is in language that most of us read over because of over-familiarity or not really understanding uh, the, the text properly, and to be able to reread afresh some of these texts through the lens of true political two kingdoms rhetoric is, is a very exhilarating experience. And I, I think this is something where those who have teaching responsibilities and those who, who can, I mean, even through your platform here, can recover that. It, it does capture the imagination. You know, the early church grew with the work of scholar evangelists, people who knew how to apply their, their ability to, to read and to think well towards, towards the kingdom. And I think now what we need to do is appropriate afresh some of the language that we've, we've lost and we've really ceded to the realm of politics and to, to recapture that and apply it in a this worldly context towards the kingdom. So one of the, of course, huge mistakes that people make when they talk about uh, the, the enterprise of evangelism is they construct it as this like what am I going to do after I die and people start imagining pictures of of uh, clouds and baby fat angels going around singing and it just it, it doesn't even sound particularly compelling as opposed to using the language of politics and using the language of eternal life which isn't later it just it's unending. It begins now and it extends uh, into mm -hmm. eternity. And so there's a whole realm of activity that I think we ought to be pursuing with respect to reshaping our language and, and using a new language that is going to hopefully capture people afresh instead of this, like, do you want to go to heaven after you die type language that unfortunately we've, we've largely fallen into to instead mm -hmm. to, to cast our evangelistic presentations through the lens of more of a two kingdom presentation. 
Yeah, and and if we are reframing the gospel around bringing heaven to earth rather than escaping earth and going to heaven when we die, I think probably an important part of that is meeting people's physical needs as well as as proclaiming the gospel. And I, I've heard people, you know, say that the the gospel still should be the most important thing, and then and then we meet their physical needs on the side or or also. Um, do you think that's a good way to, to frame it, or are they completely inseparable and we shouldn't emphasize one over the other? Yeah, it, it's certainly difficult to separate, isn't it? I mean, to, to disentangle the, the needs of an individual into these various compartments is, is hard. I, I think the one way to think about this, which connects to our earlier discussion here on evangelism, is to think about what did Jesus tell us was going to be the the attraction, the fuel that would draw people in. And as far as I can tell, he gave us three fairly clear teachings on what can actually compel people and draw people in and make Christianity winsome. And those three things are, number one, in John 13, he says, by your love for one another, the world will know that you're my disciples. So we, we have to be strong at, at creating communities that, that demonstrate self-sacrificial love for one another. Number two is in John chapter 17, when he, he prays in the high priestly prayer, Jesus prays to the Father and he says, uh, may they be one as you and I are one, that the world may believe that you have sent me. And there's something about unity that is attractive and persuasive. And I think we all get that and appreciate that, that unity is something that everyone would love to see in this world of incredible fracture and divisiveness. And then the third is from the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says that we're to be cities on a hill, we're to be the salt of the earth. And he says, let your, your good works so shine before men that they may glorify your father who's in heaven. And I, I you know, when we think about what is good works, well, he, he talks about that in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, but it includes things like almsgiving, caring for the poor, putting, putting our, our, um, financial resources to bear at, at uh, serving those who are, who are the poor, loving your enemy. He gives several different categories there, but a lot of that space is directed at, at uh, almsgiving and care for the poor there. And so when we think about it there, this is, if you will, the degree of illumination that we have on the city. I mean, how dim or how bright are the lights are a function of to what degree we are doing these good works that are, that are supposed to be drawing people in and glorifying the Father in heaven. And so it, it seems like we've missed that. And instead, there's this, there's this notion that there's, a, there's the, this, this other group of people, the NGOs and others out there that, that do the, the work of caring for the, the poor and the church's job is just to focus on, on souls. But it's that same dichotomy we were talking about before where that's the otherworldly phenomenon where Christianity has unfortunately become too much just about this ethereal go to heaven after you die. And it misses the opportunity to engage our creativity and our imagination when we think about caring for the poor. And wow, you think about if we could get all of our, our smart people who like to think about logistics and and, and business and really the, the notion of, of leadership and, and thinking carefully about how we can deploy our talents there. Wouldn't that be an engaging task for us to, to do alongside our evangelism, not in a competitive way, but in a complementary way 
to think about how we can begin to meet some of these tremendous needs that are out there. And I think that would be so persuasive as, as we know, it was persuasive in the early church, their concern for, for the poor. And that, of course, that famous line where one of the emperors basically saying that they care for our poor better than we care for our mm -hmm. poor. And, you know, this is, um, this is clearly something that has, that worked. It worked very effectively in those first few centuries, this, this radical compassion, this, this generosity there and the, the living of these good works in ways that, that um, cause people to glorify the father in heaven. Yeah, it's good. Any of you other guys um, have any questions for Finney before we let him go? There was a question in the comments that I'd, I'd love to hear him address. Um, and let me see if I can find it. Um, it's from it's from Christopher Whitmer. And he said, what are some ways the church has pushed forward justice without allying with political change? Is that something you'd uh, speak, be able to speak into? Yeah, I mean, the, the there's a lot of great examples of this, I think. So there's um, one of my favorite examples comes from the community that my parents came from. So this is in South India in a place called Kerala. And in the 1800s, it was a, an absolute backward area with very, uh, very poor infant mortality, very high uh, poverty, lots of problems all around, low education, et cetera. And the church actually came into that area. And one of the, the first things that they did was they taught people how to read so that they could engage in study of the scriptures. And in fact, in Malayalam, which is the language my parents speak at home, the word for school in Malayalam is palikodam. And palikodam literally means the building attached to the church. And, and so they, they came in and they began this incredible enterprise of, of, uh, of education with very little money, I should say. This was not something where they were dumping in lots of money. These people came with basically the shirts on their back. And today, this particular part of India called Kerala has over 95% literacy. The rest of India has about 50% literacy. Infant mortality is less than England, believe it or not. And when you travel to various parts of India, you realize how, how much further ahead this particular area is because of the work of a handful of people from, mostly from, from Germany, uh, who came in the 1800s there and totally revolutionized the state. And it's very interesting. There's, to this day, there's a Nobel Prize winning economist, Amartya Sen, who has studied Kerala. Many people have and asked the question, what, why is this one little pocket so different than the rest of India with, with respect to, like I said, measures of, of literacy, poverty, infant mortality, et cetera. And it is an example where they really didn't have to engage in, in some kind of coercive policy or use legislation or something like that. It was just creative people who loved people and effectively proclaimed the gospel in a, in a total way, right? This is, again, getting to what Titus was asking before here. There's, there wasn't this, this artificial split that you so often see you think, Finn, that's part of what Jesus means when he says greater works than these should you do also? I, I absolutely think that. And, you know, it's funny that, that when we hear that, that verse, we, we can be tempted to think that it has to be like a supernatural fulfillment, right? So like if Jesus healed some blind person, that we have to heal 100 blind people. I'm not so sure that's the case. And in fact, I don't think it's the case. So when Jesus goes out and feeds the 5,000, he's obviously doing that supernaturally. 
But when we go out and do businesses and create businesses and are entrepreneurial to feed millions, right? That is a fulfillment of that, of that uh, prophecy that Jesus was making there that we can do in quantity much more than he did during the, the few years that he was active in a relatively small part of the world. And so I think that's, again, something where when we think about engaging our, our creativity and our, our best people to think in a two kingdoms way about deploying our gifts and our talents for these problems of the world, I think it's just a really exciting, very compelling setup. The, the hopeful thing about that to me is that all, all that God's asking for us is to be faithful in our domain like to be doing the things that God's putting in front of us and being faithful to them. And the accumulation of us as a community, as the people of God equals much more than even Christ was doing in his ministry. And that's a, that's a tremendously hopeful thing. Particularly if we can be faithful and spread out, right? If we can be faithful right. and take, take these various gifts that we have and, and go to different parts of the world cities. And, and yeah, that would be a beautiful witness that ties back to the very first question that, Titus had asked during the interview here. Well, I sure appreciate having you on, Finn. It's nice to have you here. It's great. Yeah, great to be with you all. Yeah, thanks. All right. God bless you all. Yep. Good night. Good night. So the story he told um, reminded me, um, and this is actually kind of your neck of the woods, Titus. Back in the um, back in the early 1800s, uh, of course, rural Appalachia was extremely um, you know, poverty, backwards, backwoods and stuff. Um, and there was a, there was an Anglican priest um, from, or he was actually a deacon, I think, from, uh, from England. Uh, he was actually uh, educated at, at Oxford and he got a burden for these, uh, for these mountain people that, um, that had no education. Reminded me what, what Finn was saying, reminded me a lot of this story. And so he moved down to the, um, to the, uh, what is now um, the Charlottesville area, I guess Charlottesville is an old town, um, more like Dyke in that area. And he started, um, he started a chain of mission stations throughout the hills down there with doctors and schools and so forth. He actually built the complex that is now Faith Mission Home there in Free Union, the Free Union area. <clears throat> and what, what's personally really interesting to me about it, most of the mission stations are, 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 are now defunct. They're back, you know, and still kind of back in pretty rural areas. But he started a boarding school, the Blue Ridge, uh, Blue Ridge School that is still operates today. It was on the same road as, as my grandparents lived on my mom's side. My mom's family was uh, kind of wild mountain people. Um, her great aunt, actually, I've seen papers that her great aunt signed, um, she's not living anymore, but um, where she would put an X, and then somebody would write Cynthia's, uh, you know, Cynthia, Cynthia, her mark underneath it. So this is like, is in my living memory. But my grandfather's name, uh, my grandfather's middle name, his name was Frederick Neve Shiflett. And um, I always thought it was kind of weird, this weird middle name, especially for mountain people, the Frederick made sense, but the Neve was a little bit odd until I was reading this history and I came across this name. Frederick Neve was the man's, was this deacon's name that traveled through the Blue Ridge Mountains and set, set these things up. And he was in the middle of his ministry in the 1930s when my grandfather was born. And so that's a, that's a really cool personal connection to me that obviously my great-grandfather, great-grandmother um, were really impressed 
by the change that he made. And if you look at um, at that region today, it's I mean, there's definitely there's definitely been an uptick in the um, in the, the the profitability or whatever of the um, the the standard of living in that area. Um, so that that story, um, what what Finn was telling, reminded me of that. That a lot of times, that's what the gospel is about: is just going and doing good, just going and um, and meeting people's needs. And and I've heard the the thing, you know, well, that's a social gospel, and almost like we can't do anything good, as somebody said it, for somebody unless it's bait for the gospel trap. But that um, that there's something more to like j- just going and doing good for Jesus' sake is the gospel in itself, um, and that's that's what that's what draws people to the kingdom. So that's um, I really really appreciate what Finn had to share. Well, it's it's interesting to connect it to some of the commands about give to him that asketh thee, like that the 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 multiplier of all of the faithful Christian people all meeting the needs that are immediately in front of them is a tremendous value in the world. And it helps recalibrate some of these expectations of trying to change the world with political power. When we recognize that our nation is, when we're faithful, our nation is changing the world. We, we, are, we are making a difference and overcoming evil in, in real dramatic and dynamic ways, but it's collective. We have to abandon our sense of, I have to be the savior of the world or my vote has to count. Just put your energy and effort and resources and attention into the things that God has right in front of you today. And then tomorrow, do it tomorrow. And that's how we, that's how we change the world. Hey, Dave, I'm hearing an outcry online of people that are just biting their nails trying to figure out what's going on with the election is Trump has Trump overtaken Jesus's polling results. Um, he, he hasn't yet. I am. Um, I'm actually trying to pull up the map here. I'm having some technical difficulties, but um, if you just give me a second, I'll be able to, uh, let's see where are we at. Um, no, that's not it either. Oh, there I, we are. I think, okay. I think the one quote that I read um, on our feed was too much seriousness. I'm ready for David's stupid map again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we're gonna um we're gonna actually think that's serious uh, yeah there's uh, like we're actually we're actually at that point um one of the things before we go to the map though uh somebody dropped it said in the comments they'd like me to share this um as well um we talk a lot about the temptation of jesus um specifically his temptation um to fall down and worship satan um, in order to gain the kingdoms of this world um, and there's there's a couple things we can learn from that from his approach to that because that <laughs> that's kind of what the devil still does um, right. is comes to church and says hey why don't you do things my way and um, and I'll give you um, the power and I'll give you the ability and somehow through that you're gonna bring the kingdom of God into this world and unfortunately right. way too often the kingdom of the, the kingdom of uh, the church of Jesus Christ looks at the devil and says yeah but what's the catch um, and <laughs> And that's um, that that type of attitude of willingness, rather than the um, the the response of Jesus. He was he wasn't open to that. But you know, when we face temptation, there's different approaches, different temptations. There's some temptations we ought to flee. There's some temptations we ought to resist. And we see that with Jesus, as he was right. uh, as he was responding to Satan's temptations. There was, t- was one time where he he 
he said to um to satan satan said um you know when when satan said bow down to me he said get behind me satan but when he's up on top of the temple's pinnacle when satan says um you know why don't you jump off jesus says you know um don't tempt the lord your god now that's a good thing we have faced temptation in different ways because what if jesus would have been up on the temple and said get behind me satan <laughs> satan might have pushed him off right anyway uh just a side note there so um <laughs> Uh, Rebecca Mewey was begging me to say that on the air, so I guess now she ought to be happy. Um, she was saying in the comments. Well, she, she made one comment, but I took that as begging. So anyway, I'm going to share the map now. Um, and here we go. We, yes, we have a lot of wow. results in. Unfortunately, wow. I'm sorry to say that um, California is still a holdout. Not, not that we're terribly surprised. Chris, if you're no, still out there, no, you might no have No surprise. There's a lot but, of resistance um, to the king in California, I've heard. It's a battleground yes, state. Um, uh, but yeah, we are ready at this point um, to, to, to set the record. We have definitely the first major um, network um, to, to announce this. But we're going to announce this as Jesus Christ is the winner of the election. He is the king of kings, lord of lords. Glory. And Woo! we're reminding the, um, the words of, of Jesus that said, and we are receiving word right now that, yes, in fact, um, California was a holdout, but they are now in, so we can we can share that information. There it is. Now. That so is a wrap. Absolutely clean sweep. The kings of this world are become the kings of the Lord and of his Christ. Um, and I'd actually like to read a little bit um, from the, I'll put my, um, I'll just leave a map there, I guess. But I'd like to read from the book of Daniel just for a second. Uh, Christopher Whitmer said that my, um, my, he said my joke, that my joke made, uh, Keyshawn said my joke made physically ill. I got to go into comments here. And Christopher Whitmer said the joke didn't land and neither did Jesus as far as that goes. Uh, sorry, I couldn't resist. Um, but anyway, we'll go back to, to the Bible reading. I want to read from, um, I want to read from, the book of Daniel, a passage that is that is one of my favorites about um, the king. Uh, let me find it. I had it pulled up and then I lost it. Um, it's in Daniel uh, chapter 7. And Jesus refers to himself as the son of man. Um, again and again, and it's because he's identifying himself with this son of man. <clears throat> it describes, he says, after this, I saw in the night visions and behold a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had a great iron teeth. It devoured, it devoured and broke into pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the other beasts that were before it. It had 10 horns and I considered the horns and behold, there came up from among them another horn, a little one, before which the three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. I looked and thrones were placed and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was like fiery flames and its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. And a thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. 
As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night vision, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting kingdom which shall never pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And that, um, that's the Son of Man, that is, um, that is King Jesus. He's reigning now. Um, this election is, um, is his election. Um, and regardless of who ends up um, in the White House, um, Jesus is a king that sits on a great white throne to, go ju to judge the world. So um, I wanted to share that with you all. And that is our, um, I guess that's our election coverage for the, um, for the, uh, yeah, for the map there, as you can see, it's a clean sweep. Um, so we, um, we're really glad to have, um, to be able to announce that. We beat, other, beat the other networks out, really scooped them on this. That, we are the first. Uh, you heard it here, folks. The, the that's election right. you heard it here. is in. The Jesus purple wave. <laughs> All right. right on. So um, I'm going to go ahead and um, let's see. Why don't you is drop it, your screen this, share there, Dave? All right. I got to cancel my share. Um, let me move this. All right. There we go. All right. We, we have our next, uh, our next uh, interviewee um, be joining us here. Reagan, can you hear us? Uh, he's still I think connecting. He's muted. Yeah, you're muted. There we go. All right. How's that? Is that coming through all right? Yeah, we can hear you. Thanks for joining us. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. Welcome. So, yeah, Regan is uh, one, the co-founder, I guess, of, of Anabaptist Perspectives and, and hosts a lot of those podcasts. So I'm, I'm sure our audience is, is familiar with, with the work you're doing, and, and you also work in, in the Middle East. Um, so one of, one of the, the primary reasons why we don't vote is because of what every president will inevitably do in the Middle East, which is drop bombs on um, ISIS fighters and there will be collateral damage. And we do not think that is consistent with Jesus' command to, to love your enemy. And so I wanted to bring you on because oftentimes like this is just, it's just a concept in our head. In fact, one time I was, I was having a really long discussion with an, an older gentleman about conspiracy theories and, and politics and it, it just wasn't going anywhere and then towards the end of the discussion uh someone who i, I think actually was over the, in the middle east with your ministry shared a story about when trump dropped dropped the the really big bomb um he he actually knew someone who had his friend killed by that attack and like it, everything got really quiet after he shared that story and the gentleman i was talking to is like yeah well no one can support that you know, and so there, there really is something when when we actually can put faces to these numbers. And, and that's something that I, I know you can do, having been over there. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm excited to be able to hear some of those stories. But maybe before we get to that, um, can you just share like how how do we get to the point where there's this this violence in Syria and all of these refugees and, and everything that's going on? Maybe just in, in a nutshell, give us like the historical um, perspective on that. 
So that would that would take an entire college class, um, but we'll we'll do our best to do it in about five minutes. Um, <laughs> so I'm not an expert on the Middle East. I've been to Iraq a number of times and other places in the in the Middle East, but I think probably the, the best way to summarize what happened was the West and, and a number of countries have done a fair amount of meddling in the Middle East because of oil and, and it's geopolitically um, important. And the US has been part of that process. And that made some people upset, uh, which makes sense. And over time, that developed into something what we call now Al Qaeda, you know, Osama bin Laden, um, which ultimately culminates in 9-11, which obviously was a horrific thing and took a lot of people by surprise. So it made sense as a country, America would do something pretty dramatic, um, which was invade Afghanistan and kill a bunch of bad guys, I guess, as they call it in the media. And that's exactly what happened. A lot of bombs were dropped and America is still fighting in that war still today. But there was also some hints that maybe Iraq was getting involved in this process. And there was like, well, maybe, you know, they're playing with some dangerous weapons and we don't like it. And um, Saddam Hussein is kind of a bad guy anyway, kind of has it coming. So the U.S. invades Iraq in 2003. Now, it's important to note there weren't actually any official Al-Qaeda terrorist cells in Iraq at the time that, that at least were active that we know of. Um, so the U.S. invades and initially it seems like it's going to work, but it's part of that cycle of violence. When you attack a nation, um, there's automatically going to be some type of insurgency that, that responds. And that's exactly what happened in Iraq. Um, it was just impossible to control the situation, spiraled out of control, um, ended up a lot of lives lost. Um, I, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but hundreds of thousands of civilians um, alone and, and obviously a lot of armed forces on both sides. Um, and yeah, it was just kind of one of those things you, you, in the end, they didn't find what they were looking for. A lot of the intelligence was wrong and it just became this big debacle. Well, out of that started this group called the Islamic State in Iraq, um, who was originally affiliated with Al Qaeda. Um, and they were the main insurgency force. And when the US withdrew um, a number of years later, they were mostly an underground force. But once they had the chance and things started destabilizing in Syria, um, politically, they came to power and invaded Syria, which resulted in what we call Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, ISIS. Um, and that's really where it started. Uh, and there, there's a lot more you know, specifics, but it just shows when you have violence like that, people will automatically respond in that way. And, and you, start, you, start, you start off a chain reaction, really, is, is what we're looking at. Yeah. Yeah, and like I said earlier, one thing that is guaranteed, regardless if if Trump or Biden wins tonight, is that that kind of violence will continue, and American military forces will continue to attack um, that area. So, what can you maybe give us some some of your experiences over there? What are what are some of the things you've seen that have come as a result of uh, Americans casting their vote and empowering these these commander in chiefs? If, if we want to be real specific here. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the problem with the Middle East is it's super complicated, right? Everybody's fighting everybody. Um, and the thing that is so, so clear is violence is just not the answer in these types of situations. Um, I, you know, I was on the front line in Syria, Iraq, which was at one point an ISIS um, stronghold. And just the devastation by airstrikes alone, which was coordinated by the U.S., um, 
there is no way there wasn't collateral damage, a, a, a massive amounts of collateral damage. There were, you know, one case they had leveled like three blocks with with one guided, I guess you could say guided bomb. But I mean, three blocks like there's civilians living in this city, just like you and me, who have nothing to do with the situation. But hey, there's a bad guy, a commander of something terrible. So we're going to drop a bomb. We want to make sure we hit him. So let's just flatten the entire block. Well, you don't know how many civilians died in an attack like that. And, and a lot of times these things happen way off in the middle of nowhere. There may never be any reports of the collateral damage that happens. I know in some cases, like in Mosul, for example, they did think they were hitting an ISIS stronghold when in fact it was a civilian apartment of some kind that killed over 250 people um, that were just trying to survive in a war zone, you know, and, and that's the thing with war, it's never pretty. Uh, the vast majority of casualties will always be civilians. Um, and that is, regardless of what US military likes to say about how we got these super advanced weapons and, you know, we're, we're mitigating these potential risks, it's just not really the case. When you're dropping a bomb from 20,000 feet, you don't really know who you're going to hit. And I mean, the refugees we work with, uh, so, so many stories. Um, the one was, a, you know, she was captured by ISIS, sold um, as a slave through different parts. And I think it was in Mosul, she was hit by airstrikes four different times by an American airstrike. So it was a prison compound that she was in. For some reason, the US kept thinking that this is a major troop center. And so they would bomb it. And, she, you know, and she's so, she doesn't like America. <laughs> you know, she's like, you, you almost killed me. Um, and and that, I mean, there's, there's so many stories like that. And, and it just goes back to the violence cycle will just keep going and going and going unless something changes. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I know you can't name your, your ministry for security reasons, but you do work over there. Maybe give us a little idea of, of what you're doing over there, um, because I know one thing that you talk a lot about is, you know, we, we don't believe in, in violence as a solution, but neither do we believe in, in doing nothing. Um, mm -hmm. We want to be on the front lines. We're, we're not cowards. We're not afraid of violence because we fear for our lives. We, if, if American soldiers are going to go risk their lives, then, then Christian soldiers uh, for, for the king, nonviolent soldiers fighting against the spiritual darkness need to also be risking their lives on the front lines. And, and I think that that really is what you guys are doing. So maybe give us a, a little snapshot of, of what your ministry is about and um, how people can get involved in it. Yeah, so our, our whole premise is it's time for real solutions in the Middle East. Obviously, what the governments of this world are trying to do is not working. That's very obvious. Um, and even like secular scholars keep bouncing around all these different theories. How, like, what are we missing, you know? And we believe someone has to break the cycle of violence. The cycle of violence is only broken through radical love, uh, radical Jesus love. And until someone's willing to take the risk and actually step up and do it, I don't think we're ever gonna see significant changes in this part of the world um, because of fallen human nature. and. It's really easy for us to sit here and complain about how messed up the American government is or whatever country you live in and how messed up it is and how terrible it is. Instead of doing that, let's actually get out there and get to work and actually start implementing these solutions. I, I, I got very tired of, honestly, of hearing that in a lot of churches um, in my circles where it's just like, oh, it's so terrible. I wish, you know, I wish we, you know, somebody just fixed this. I'm like, well, Jesus is a solution. What are we waiting on? Let's get on a plane. Let's go. Um, and that was really how this whole thing started was just 
someone's got to bring this radical solution to these people because they have no concept of things like forgiveness, um, loving each other, loving their enemies is an entirely foreign concept. And until someone's there to teach that, break that cycle, um, we're going to keep seeing a lot more bombs dropped in the Middle East. And, and I've always said, you know, I've talked to different military service members and said, you know, I feel we are being way more effective in combating things like terrorism than the U.S. military will ever be. And that's because of one very simple thing. You can't bomb an idea into extinction. It's impossible. You know, radical jihadism is an ideology. You can't kill an ideology with a bomb. It's, it's an idea. The only way to beat it is to show a better way. And that's what we're trying to do. Um, so yeah, we can't name the organization for security reasons. We do have another kind of a front website where you can go check it out called advance1040.org. Um, there's a, a little bit of information there, or you just message me, I can get you a lot more detail as far as what this actually looks like in, in real life. So. Good stuff. I, I think, can I break in here a little bit, Titus? Because yeah. I want to I capitalize on some of the things you said. And it's not just today, but in the future, like when we look at past conflicts like especially the rwandese um genocide there's there's a so there's a lot of violence happening now and in the recent past and putting these lives back together and these peoples back together and these countries back together is going to require a lot of um a lot of exemplary work and and digging in with what does it mean to forgive? You know, when we look at how Rwanda actually, Kigali is a is a tourist hotspot now. The the country uh, before COVID, the country and the city were were in a re, like an economic revival, and it's because through a lot of really like desperate people saying we have to turn it around at some point. We have to just say. We have to forgive. It's not fair. It's not right. There's still lots of mess that's undone. But at some point, we just have to say we have to learn how to forgive. And that requires people willing to be hurt. So I, I hope that we're raising up a crop of young men uh, to follow your example, Reagan, that that my sons and my daughters, people in my community and all across America are ready to start paying the price to, to teach and live real forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, I, I I'm pretty young and I was actually in, in Bible school with Reagan back before any of this happened. And next thing I knew, it, he has like this ministry in the Middle East and <laughs> a podcast. And so anyone can do it like you don't need to sit around. Um, and that's that's one thing I've always appreciated about you, Reagan. Like you're like, why not? Let's just go do this. And um, and, and really cool results come from that kind of a mindset. So. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. Keep, keep up the good work, man. And thanks for joining us. I think we'll let you go unless Anthony or David have anything you want to chime in with. No, that's, that was terrific. That was absolutely awesome. All right. Good night, brother. Yep. Thanks for having me. Anthony's here. Hey, I'm back. Yeah. Just in we time to hear, just in time to hear the, the critique of the, the violence machine. Excellent. Yeah, we lit the sparklers and uh, and uh, sang joy to the world. And uh, now I think we're pretty much winding it down for the evening over here. All right. Matthew, uh, Matthew you're you're... yeah, sorry. Next, we have Eric with us. Uh, hey, thanks for joining us, Eric. Thanks for having me. 
Absolutely. Welcome. Thank you very much. David. Is, um, David, you are you are supposed to be interviewing Eric. Did oh. you get that memo? <laughs> Banker. Um, I apologize. Yeah. So apparently, um, at one point you were a Ron Paul supporter. <laughs> no, not quite. Uh, my sister and I, he came to the town in which I lived in, uh, and my sister and I went to, um, uh, to listen to, uh, uh one of his, his rallies. Um, okay. I think, I think that was during the 20, 2012 election. So by the end of that, I think I was supporting John Huntsman, but I was a Republican. Okay. So now did I say, did I say Paul Ryan? Or did I say Ron Paul? You said Ron Paul. Okay. Ron Paul. That's, that's what I had in my notes. And all of a sudden I wondered if, because you mentioned the, the election there, I was thinking of uh, uh, Paul Ryan with Romney. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, uh-huh. so what led to your disillusionment with uh, with the whole Babylonian Babylonian political process? Um, what what was the breaking point for you? Yeah, so I, I came out of politics by the way of... Um, pacifism. I know some communities call it non-resistance, where I come from, we call it pacifism, but it's basically the same thing. Um, it was during the 2012 election, this was in 2011, that uh, someone who was a Ron Paul supporter shared on Facebook what they said was a picture of children who had been killed um, in Syria by means of U.S. drone strikes. Um, mm-hmm. And at that point in my life, I had I had not seen, I'd actually not seen anything that graphic before. Um, and it really disturbed me and got me thinking, um, how can I be a pro-life Christian? Because I was involved in pro-life activity at that time, and yet support the killing of children in other countries. Um, and so this set me on a trajectory of soul searching. And I had people talking to me about, you know, the just war perspective from the Catholics. And then also I had some Mennonite Church USA folks who were talking to me and looking into my own tradition. Um, and eventually came to the position that I hold now, which is pacifism or non-resistance. Uh, in fact, I remember it was 2014. I was doing an internship in Mexico. I had some downtime and I was listening to the debate between uh, David Berceau and Dean Taylor and then some other folks, Peter Krept and another guy. Um, and after that debate, it was like, oh my gosh, I realized like, wait, no, this is what I actually believe. I think this is actually biblical, <laughs> you know, that we, we should not be involved in war and, and killing these kinds of things. Um, but I was challenged later on by a friend who said to me, okay, but what about Romans 13? You've all heard that before. We had a dollar for that. <laughs> what about, what about Romans 13? No, um, what, what's thought, that well, again? I, I've never had yeah, someone bring that, that up. <laughs> um, <laughs> for, for those of you who've never heard that before. Um, but I thought, okay, you know, he has a point. It sure looks like, you know, the state uses a sword. Um, but I thought about it and said, okay, wait a second. If Jesus has taken the sword away from Christians and the sword has been given to the state or the government, doesn't that mean that we as Christians should not be participating in government? Um, and that was basically the slow unraveling of my participation in politics. This again was 2014, so I registered to vote and voted in the midterm elections earlier that year. It would have been spring, like March or something. Um, and then by August, uh, I had sworn off politics. Okay, wow. So that's a, a pretty fast. Once the once the ball started rolling, 
Um, it was a it was a pretty <laughs> pretty fast down the hill, so kind of an avalanche of, of yeah of change in your thoughts. Yeah, there. yeah. Do you do you feel Eric since yeah it was it was one of those things where do you do you feel since you've made that change that you're more effective or less effective at the issues that you care about? Oh, I definitely think that I'm more effective um, because what it after I decided that I was not going to participate in politics, and you have to understand, like my my heroes were. Um, James A. Garfield and Mike Huckabee, <laughs> because they were both preacher politicians. And that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a preacher politician. Like I loved politics. Um, and so after I gave that up, I was left with this. Now, what do I do? How do I make a change? Because that was all I knew. We make a change by voting in Christian leaders. And then they change the government by putting in laws that conform to biblical principles. And then I guess this kind of ushers in some kind of, I don't know, millennial age on, on the earth. And then suddenly I had to think about, no, what now do I have to do? What's my responsibility to my community and to you know, the people around me, to my church? Not voting for somebody, but like what kinds of things am I specifically doing? So I think in that sense, it, it definitely made me more effective. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So, so what are some practical steps that we uh, as, as Kingdom Christians can take to make a difference more effectively? You know, we've eschewed politics we're stepping back and we're saying, um, and when I say we eschew politics, um, you understand I'm, I'm saying that um, that as far as pulling the political levers and, and, and that kind of thing. So right. what can we do? What are practical things we can do? Because we look at a world that's wrecked. Um, what can we do? Yeah. Um, I think the first thing to do is to make a long-term, there are three things I usually encourage people to do. The first thing is to make a long-term investment in your home church. I think of the local church as like the outpost of the kingdom of God. And this is not something that we're going to be doing by ourselves alone. We need to have other believers around us um, who have the same like precious faith and who are going in the same direction. Um, so make a long-term investment in your home church um, another thing that I think is important is to get involved in local nonpartisan change efforts in your community. Um, I'm a big advocate for just local, local, local as much as possible, because that's really when you get to know people and you can actually make a difference. So Amen. if it's, I'm talking about if it's, a, if it's a soup kitchen, it's a soup kitchen. If it's, you know, here we have a lot of Guatemalan immigrants in the um, suburb of Cincinnati where I live uh, and lots of uh, outreach to those populations different levels whatever it is get involved in that we need christians flying those areas who's a missionary in some of the poorest parts of the poorest countries of the world mozambique um is stop for the one this has kind of been my motto for many years now and that is take the time to like look at the people around you in my particular context it's there's a lot of prostitution um mm -hmm. i stop and i talk to the prostitutes who are on the corner or the people who are dealing drugs, or the people who are doing drugs. Um, if you can do those three things, if you can make a long-term investment in your home church and get the church mobilized, if you can get the church out and doing those nonpartisan local change efforts in your neighborhoods and communities, and then if you can personally just start stopping and asking the Lord to 
show you who around you in this moment needs his love, needs a message of the gospel. Um, I, I think that's a great way of starting to disentangle yourselves from worldly politics and then beginning to participate in the kingdom of God. So it's a move from, it's almost, um, what I'm hearing is, is so often we get this, we're going to save the world picture and you're, you're boiling it down and saying, save the people on your block, save the people <clears throat> on your street. And as we do that, we're going to save the world. Um, and, and I yeah. like that. Yeah, because Instead it's so... of out, we need to zoom in. I really like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's so, you know, I had a lot of uh, pushback from people, which is kind of funny. Usually it was some of my um, white evangelical friends on the left-leaning side um, who I went to college with who were talking about privilege, um, you know, telling me what I should be doing, I guess, as a black man to help other black people, which I guess must equal politics. Um, and they would vote for policies that they thought would help, they thought, I guess, would help black people, but they were afraid to actually go into the community where our college was, where the black, actual black people were. <laughs> um, and so I think it's easy when you're participating in politics to kind of say, okay, now I've done my part, now you go make the difference. Uh, mm -hmm. Whereas as Kingdom Christians, uh, we recognize that Jesus has called us to be disciples, which means that we actually have to get our hands dirty at some point. Mm -hmm. There's so you're a in, uh, you're Sorry, in Cincinnati, right? I am in Cincinnati, yeah. Yeah. Are you um are were you associated or was that somebody else associated with God's Bible school there in in um or was that somebody else uh, somebody else that I'm friends with on Facebook? I have a number of people and I I thought maybe it was you but lunch tour. With which 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 one you cut out there a little bit? Associated with uh, what? God's God's Bible school in college. I am now. So the school I started to attend when I went to when I moved from Illinois to Cincinnati, uh, closed down. Um, and, uh, and then I transferred to God's Bible college, which is where I'm at right now. Okay, cool. Cause I, I graduated from, um, Allegheny Westland, which is kind of a competitor. School, okay, so. sure. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to ask the question that the audience has at the forefront of their minds, which is how much is Amazon paying you to wear that hoodie on this highly televised show tonight? <laughs> Listen, you know, I, it's so funny. I was out at some uh, pro-life things the, the past several Saturdays, and I realized, you know, people have been taking pictures and stuff, and I've been out there with my Amazon sweatshirt, so hopefully no one, like, posts this on, on Twitter and says, Amazon, do you know who you have working for you, these crazy, <laughs> radical pro-life people? So I'm not, I'm not getting paid nearly enough. How about that? Well, I know, I know you're talking about, you know, focusing on, on local things. So I, that makes, that makes sense that you would promote Amazon, you know, <laughs> very, very local, you know, small business up and coming. Repping our, our, our local economy here. Yeah. In the tri-state. Oh yeah, of course. That's yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah. Well, well do you, do, do you, yeah, go ahead. Do you see if one of the other guys has something, um, yeah, I, I just, you know, to bring it back around, uh, something that's come up over and over again that uh, from, uh, like you said, a lot of our, I think, well-meaning, sympathetic, liberal white friends have been telling us that we don't care about the black community if we're not voting for Biden. And it's been so, like, I... I'm, I'm slow to come crashing down because I, rep I recognize that the interest is a good one, 
but I don't know why it's never mentioned that mm -hmm. the irony of electing a district attorney who's responsible for the drug war and all of this prosecution of poor minority communities is the one that we're electing to fix the problem. And I, I, I think that those kinds of situations are just looming in all of the world's solutions that it's always a false hope. It, it's almost like it just is more and more visible the further we go that these proposed solutions don't really have anything right. to offer. Yeah. No, I think you're. I think you're absolutely right. And um, for many people, they just they see Democrat or blue, and they think that that automatically equals help for minorities. Um, but the reality is, when you actually get around, again, you know, I'm around Hispanic immigrants all the time, um, and I'm around. Uh, this is a very diverse community around black people and white people as well. Um, and this might surprise some people, but uh, not all Latinos think the same. <laughs> Latino is a very contrived term that brings together all kinds of different countries that have their own histories and ideas. And not all black people think the same. <laughs> and right. um, I think that principally speaking, you're right that people have this, uh, good intention to want to help other people, but I really want to encourage my friends who are white and are not participating in politics to not give in to that false compassion, um, but to really look at the example of Jesus, <laughs> who, who really shows us what we should be doing and pointing to his kingdom, because I know that there's it's a difficult place for people to be in because you don't want to say like, well, I don't care. I'm just going to do this because it's my principles, but it's not just principles. We truly believe that the kingdom of God is a solution to mankind's problems. So hold the line, Amen. trust in Christ. What else can you do? Amen. Mm -hmm. That's good stuff, brother. Well, thanks for your time. Yeah. Appreciate that. Um, Thank you very really, much. Really I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. All right, so have a good one. Uh, yeah, you have a good one. Um, is is Rebecca in the wings? Or are we waiting on her? Or? We're waiting on her. Call her out. Come on, girl. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah. anyway, before like she was sharing some concerns a little earlier, um, and um, we do have um, one more news update with the with the map, and so I wanna I wanna share this now. Um, we've put together um, another map here for you, so. As you can see, um, it's been a real revolution. So um, uh, it's not—it's not just America tonight. Um, that's that's under the rule of King Jesus. But um, as you can see, the islands of the sea, um, as well as the the large land masses, are um, indeed um, under His rulership. The earth is the Lord's the fullness thereof. The sea and all that dwell therein, the world and all they that dwell therein. So um, yeah. So that includes Malaysia. <laughs> Rebecca was a little worried about that, that um, for that we'd be in a Merocentric um, podcast tonight, but I want to make clear that um, that Jesus is indeed not just king of, of the United States, and um, the United States certainly isn't the center of his kingdom. Um, Jesus told us that it's not going to say, here's the kingdom of God, there's the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God is among us, it's within us, and um, so yeah. Our map is showing a clean sweep, not just of all of our 50 states, 
but also um, every nation under heaven that's under the rulership of our Lord. So that's good I wanna, news all I wanna, around. Good news. I want to add to that. You know, I want to take our tongues fully out of our cheek and say, you know, we're, we're actually, as fun as this is, we're not being campy. Uh, I think the same way that you think of, the, you know, that in, in not too long ago, the British Empire was from east to west. The sun never set on the British Empire. And the ideas of American exceptionalism that America is preserving peace and order in the whole world, these concepts of nationalism are real things and they're real ideologies. And in that, it's in that spirit and in that sense that we, we really now and presently see the domain and reign of Christ over the earth. He is the rightful heir of the whole earth. It is, it is his and the fullness of it. And that hasn't been realized in every corner and it hasn't been realized in any heart. But regardless of, of every vote that's cast tonight, at, at, at a certain point, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we're just, that's our inside track. That's our inside informant on the election results tonight is this, we just happen to know by faith that that's exactly 100% true. Absolutely. Amen. Amen. Um, as, as God said to Moses, as I live, saith the Lord, my glory shall fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. All right. Well, we got we got Rebecca on the horn. Pardon me. Here she is. Ding dong. All right. Live and in person. Welcome. All right. Is she on? Here she is. All right. Hey. Hey. She's she's looking pretty cheery. It must not be ten thirty p.m. where you you live. No, it's eleven in the morning. See, there All you right. go. So, um, so yeah. Well, um, that's really cool because uh, they've been saying we might not know the results uh, of of the election till tomorrow. So I guess, being that it's tomorrow where you're at, maybe you can. Maybe <laughs> you can... <laughs> no, they're, they're telling me that's not how it works. So um, yeah, who who did you vote for? <laughs> She, she acts like that's a ludicrous question. Um, so uh, we just figured, we just figured, I mean, you care as much as, you know, it's it's important. Um, you know, I know American politics affects the world. So we figured maybe maybe you'd voted for somebody yourself. Um, did you, yeah, did you, like, uh, that, did that's, you the, that's the whole fraud thing. Like they're getting votes mailed in from Asia. <laughs> Okay, you heard it. So, you heard it, ladies and gentlemen. The truth heard, comes out. First, we had mission of, of, of voter fraud here. So, um, so how do the how do the people in Malaysia feel? Um, I know uh, Malaysia, from what I've heard, and uh, a lot of Asia got hit pretty hard with COVID. But hold up, hold up, hold up, Blanky Dave. You you forgot to make the point that you were trying to make by asking her well, who we'll, she voted for. We'll make that we'll make that point later. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, uh. <laughs> How are the people feeling there in Malaysia? I know, like I said, COVID hit over there pretty hard, but I've been seeing all over my news feed that after after today, um, COVID's uh, pretty much going to vanish. So everybody pretty excited about that? Yeah, I can't wait. Like I've burned all my masks, you know, because oh, I right. don't need so them she's, anymore. He's ahead of the game. 
No, the point we're making, obviously, tongue in cheek, or tongue in cheek, but um, as Titus was saying, we did have a point there. Um, it would be uh, incredibly inappropriate for you to um, to interfere in a foreign election. Um, I know you're you're uh, Malaysian, not Russian, but still, we don't like you interfering. Americans would 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 look dimly on you mailing ballots in, um, and just as you're a citizen of another country, um, I'm proud to be a citizen of the same country you are. Um, yeah. So I didn't <laughs> <battled> in <laughs> so, so, um, so we probably have no more business in America's election than you do. Yes. Absolutely. Well, we can watch. We can, we a can lot watch. of people here will watch just to see what happens and pray, I guess. Amen. Yes. So, so how um, how do people in your country, and in all seriousness, um, you take the election pretty seriously? I've got friends in Canada that say, you know, they're always watching to see because it actually affects them. Do you feel that effect, or are you far enough removed? <clears throat> well, out of all the world elections, I think the American one is the one most people pay attention to. Um, Maybe, maybe people would have paid attention to Brexit, but generally the rest of the world knows exactly what's going on with the American election and everyone's watching. Mm -hmm. um, so everyone's eyes there and, <laughs> and, and everyone's eyes on the church too. And that's like a worldwide phenomenon. I think everyone knows that what the church mm -hmm. is doing, what's happening in America and yeah. <laughs> so, um, so how do we, because we, we spent a lot of time talking tonight, and obviously uh, the four of us that, um, that do this podcast regularly, um, you know, we're all from the U.S., and it's really easy, even when you try hard not to be, it's really easy to feel like the U.S. is just kind of the center of the world, especially mm -hmm. when the rest of the world kind of looks that way. Like I couldn't, I couldn't possibly, if you put a gun to my head, instead tell us, um, who the leadership in Malaysia is, there'd be brains all over the wall. I have no idea. I couldn't, I couldn't say it to save my life. Um, and so as a result, it's like I said, it's super easy, even for me, who I'm, I'm passionate about the kingdom of God, um, to forget or, you know, to pay lip service to the idea that, you know, people in other kingdoms, you know, their nations, they're part of the kingdom. They're more they're more my brothers and sisters than the non-Christian that lives down the street, this American. But how do we move beyond that from just saying that to actually feeling that connection, that closer connection with other Christians in other countries than we do in our own country? As somebody from, as somebody from another country, you know, your, your perspective would be interesting here. Well, I have to say for the past uh, yeah. couple of months, I think even when discussing kingdom, our discussion of kingdom is always contrasting it with America. It's always in the context of uh, like today, it's like the biggest deal. And, and I think that the discussion of kingdom, kingdom theology has to move beyond just not being, it's, it's not just not American politics. Even though that affects the rest of the world, I still think that like a lot of the memes, a lot of the discussions still center around America, even though we're supposed to not. Um, it's supposed to be kingdom, which is like a global thing. The other thing is like, I guess, engaging more people from around the world in, in our spaces. I might be the only like non uh, 
North American <laughs> indie KC. Yeah, exactly. You need to get us some fat Malaysian memes. <laughs> no, well, I, I saw I saw some pins on the map and, and, and all around the world. I don't know who you are, but come out of the woodwork, whoever you whoever put those pins in. Well, Probably. I think they're mostly expat Westerners. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Menno missionaries or whatever. <laughs> Yeah. which is great um uh, yeah <laughs> but also it's it's also that i feel like the discussion of kingdom and kingdom theology has been very centered around like the west so sometimes people might might see it as a very niche thing they're like oh you found friends who who are into the same niche things and they're from this these really isolated communities in america and people don't see it as something that is a kingdom vision for the church in the world. And part of that reason is historically, like in terms of evangelism, uh, the gospel that came to my country here is, is basically the, the, the gospel that came through like the colonization through uh, like, I think the earliest Bible translator was hired by the East India Company and uh, the missionaries definitely like they came to Asia on the same boats that brought the opium that brought and mm -hmm. there was like they did bring the gospel they, they were passionate about evangelism but it wasn't kingdom right. it was mixed with a lot of the early Christian converts even became political activists uh, but the thing is where were the kingdom people that's what I want to know like where were the people who, who, who said like we believe in this in Jesus's teachings directly. Well, it's not just the Sermon on the Mount, is it? It's Mark 16 and Matthew 38. And like, yeah, so so where 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 were the kingdom people? You can't really blame Christianity in, in Asia for being secondhand evangelicalism if we haven't had actually any kingdom people come here. Right. I mean, yeah. there's like homegrown, I guess. Let me ask a question. Uh, so when you mention about our like Amerocentric views of, of kingdom, I, I, I recognize the truth in that statement. And when I see it, it reminds me of, of like the menocentric view of the kingdom. Like if you're, if you're, if you're practicing kingdom theology and, and, and praxis, then you must be if you're not officially an Anabaptist, you must be a quasi-Anabaptist or like a step Anabaptist. And I think that that's maybe the claim that you're making about kingdom is that it's like a quasi-American ideology. So how do we, I think for those of us that are here, we feel very engaged in the fight against American evangelicalism. And we're always putting our dukes up about Trumpism or liberalism or whatever it is. How do we decentralize our notions of kingdom and get rooted back into a pan-geographic worldview of the kingdom of God? That was a very long question. <laughs> <laughs> it's Matthew. It's what I'm known for. <laughs> oh, well, I think it, I think the internet helps. It definitely plays a role in that. And as well as just getting like having, it's even easy for kingdom people to have a, a colonist, colonial mindset to even kingdom theology. It's not like you need to like go and create little mini whatever it is, kingdom or whatever de denomination it is, like mini replicas of that. I think what 
I think what like the the uh, Western and the rest of the world, the church, we all need to decolonize. We all need to deconstantine. We all need right. to get back to that New Testament vision. And I think that is something we can do together. So it's so maybe even like with kingdom theology, it doesn't need to be a one-way street like. Uh, Oh, we need to take kingdom theology, which is developed in North America, and we need to uh, contextualize export. it for the rest of the world. Yeah, it's not an export thing. It right. should be everybody just sitting down and and wanting to to study, you know, the scriptures, what the early church did, and draw from that example. Because I think if you if you go back further from instead of like making it a radical Reformation era European thing, if you take it back further to the early church then it's supposed to be from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the rest of the earth. Right. So, so for sure, a first step could be a healthy dose of humility that we didn't come up with it here, that we're, we're, we're people who have received the gospel from, from Jerusalem. It's not our invention. Yeah. yeah, there's there's a bit of a cultural kenosis that has to go on. Like you have to. That's what they did. They had to die to their to their um, culture, to their Jewishness, to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And the church became somewhere where Gentiles and Jewish people merged. So why can't it be like that in kingdom circles? Uh, of course, it should be like that. But it's something that has to be constantly like moved towards, I guess. I think it would be a big help for us too to continue to move towards urban metro areas where there are more international opportunities. It, it helps to have people that aren't just Westerners in your churches if you want to decolonize your mindsets. Yeah, I, I definitely believe that churches should be where people of all cultures come together and form one body because that's what it's going to be like in heaven. So there's no point like little ethnic enclaves yeah it's like it's so not what, very what, kingdom <laughs> what does it look like so you know obviously or I've, I've talked about like the work we do in india um and and i'm curious in, in your setting like you, you've been talking about how kingdom christianity is is contrasted with american nationalism so in in your context where you obviously don't have american nationalism or, or in india um I, obviously there's still nationalism everywhere in the world, but um, how, how can we proclaim the, the gospel of the kingdom in a countercultural way throughout the world um, without, and maybe this, maybe this is what all the questions have been. I'm just asking the same question again, but like, what does it, what does it look like for you and your conversations with your friends and family? Well, because it, it does in the end, the discussion does start with uh, often does start with American evangelicalism, mainly because like the old European Protestantism isn't so much of the discussion anymore. It's sort of on the way out. The one that people see and they recognize that they know instantly is, uh, is something that's very glaring and in your face is the American example. But the problem is theology, as far as I know, like here, it, it is basically a secondhand version of that. There's still that same nationalism, fighting for religious liberty. Uh, mm. It's the same spiel. And like in our fellowship, we just, we started out with wanting to go back to like New Testament model of church. And, 
and that to us was like deconstantinization that was just getting away from church as an institution to church as a community and then when we started doing that that's when we started learning about like kingdom and and i didn't know any like anabaptists or kingdom people that was years ago like a long long time ago like 13 years but we were we were just reading what the bible said like the sermon on the mount or the part where it says live quiet peaceable lives in all godliness and reverence and then we looked around and that wasn't what evangelicalism was promoting um so then we we started going in a different direction and that is like that's where the foundation is i think if the foundation is in the word itself not just on what somebody else from overseas says, then it's like deeply rooted. And I think for, I guess, to answer your question, which I'm only just getting to, I think for, uh, I, I think for the like evangelism mission side of it, we really do need to go back to how it was in, in the New Testament times, like scripturally. And if we start from that as a basis, then we're rooted, we have to be rooted and build up in Jesus, not in any tradition, not in any like new or old tradition, uh, but just discovering it for ourselves and seeing it with fresh eyes. I think that that helps. And being empowered to, to just listen to the words of Jesus or study them or read them or just the teachings of scripture, like talking about it, discussing it, and see what we learn from there, rather than bringing, you know, the big books and, and, and all these extra things that are helpful, they help, but you need to have the foundation in the word first, I feel, before you bring in, like, the politics of Jesus, the, the Jacques and Lul or something. <laughs> or or yeah. even, like, the ANF, because it can, uh, part, well, Part of the reason I've I always had like something a, a little bit of doubt about the the historical faith method is that it feels very inaccessible for people, especially if they're not first language English speakers. They don't have a lot of time to read lots and lots and lots. Uh, it's helpful, I think, that kind of study is helpful for like getting away from from the Constantinian effect and detoxing like the what what is that word? just removing all that surface and grime of the faith. But if it's people who are just approaching the faith for the very first time, actually it's all there in scripture already. They don't need to, to have tons of scholarship to detox. Uh, the foundation is already there. Everything that the early church taught and believed was from the foundation of Jesus. So I think we have to start there. Then it's more equalizing as well. I, I think you're like, exactly right. Yeah. My, so my own kind of like window into that, my wife didn't have any Christian background when we were converted and I grew up in the evangelical church and she took things at face value when we were converted that took me a long time to work through because she didn't have any starting point except for the text of the scriptures. And so she could read it at face value without a bunch of other stuff that's been packed on top of it and i think you're exactly right that when you're approaching the scriptures and the gospel fresh it doesn't it's all pretty self-contained the the utility of these other mechanisms are really to clean up the mess that we've made out of out of the christian church and the gospel 
And it's a mess that is not just in America. It's deeply entrenched right. all around the world. Like uh, the gospel first came to where we, like where I am in like the 1840s, 1860s through, like it's it's been a long time. It's deeply entrenched. To, to start talking about kingdom is actually a very counter-cultural sort of antithetical discussion to have even. And that is the fault of the Western church. <laughs> You know, it's a real serious issue. I, I, I we've, we've dealt with it in our church in Kampala, and it's hard to know what to do because you can see all the results of colonialism. And I'm, I'm always suspicious, like, are we actually helping? Or are we making it worse, even trying to clean up the mess? Are we are we re-entrenching colonial notions by being the ones trying to repair the colonial breach? I, I don't have answers for that. I, it's It's very difficult stuff. It is, it is very challenging, but I definitely feel there's still a voice for kingdom like minded teachings because it really hasn't made much of an impact here. Uh, but, but I believe that in different churches and denominations, there are people with this heart, but it's never been explicitly, <clears throat> explicitly taught. So, right. yeah. Uh, Cool. Well, well we're thanks glad for coming to have on. you with us. Thanks for coming yeah, on with thank us. Thank you so much for joining. We really appreciate thanks it. Thanks for having me. I dissed a lot of people and a lot of <laughs> good. That's what we do best around here. <laughs> I didn't hear what you said. I'm sorry. Oh, she said she dissed a lot of people. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Well, that's <laughs> part for the course. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Man, it's been a long night, boys. <laughs> well, we got we got one more one more to wrap up with. Yeah, all right. Asher Whitmer. The last the last uh, last in our in our um in our lineup here, Asher Whitmer. So we we start with the Whitmer and we end with the Whitmer. Welcome, Asher. Hey, hey. Man, it's been a long night, boys. I, I hear your I hear the video playing back. Okay, I don't need more. Oh, I still do. Who's running it? Is that you, Titus? No. Not me. Okay. Start with the Whitmer and we end with the Whitmer. Is that you, Asher, playing the the podcast somewhere? Because I'm hearing feedback. Is that? Can you hear it now? No, not anymore. Boy, that is weird. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no problem. So we, we're going to have you on to, to pray for whoever won the election. However, uh, that's pretty unclear at this point. Well, we know who's king, and we've made that pretty clear. But who, who, the, who the person is who's fronting as the, the leader of the free world, um, yeah. we, we aren't sure who, who's winning or who's going to win. It looks like Florida, Florida is an important um, state and it had trump is leading there and, and yeah but it'll, i don't know when we'll we'll officially know the results but either way we can we can pray for um you know god knows in advance who will be the next president of the united states and, and we can pray for him and and pray for peace when that's announced um and and yeah so but, but before we do that if you have any comments about about maybe i don't know if you're listening in to anything tonight or have any thoughts you want to just lead off with or if any of you guys have any questions for Asher? Yeah, well, I uh, I have a couple theological questions for you guys. Um, 
I noticed that the electoral map was like you started in the east. Jesus was king in the east. And you zeroed in and you left California for the very end. I, I was under the understanding when Jesus showed up and said the kingdom of God is at hand. That was instantaneous, universal California and Virginia. <laughs> well, we're in time, so it's east to west. Oh, that's how yeah, that it's, it's even biblical. It says as, as the lightning starts in the east, it shines to the west, so shall come right. the sun of Yes, that's in the Bible. So. Okay, okay, sure. <laughs> what, what's the word for, for the idea that um, when, when they colonized the United States and um, we're, we're using the biblical passages about taking Manifest Canaan, destiny. Yeah, so a little bit of manifest destiny going on tonight. <laughs> a little bit of Eastern centrism. So sorry about that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> hey, no. To, to be more serious, though, I, 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 this issue of, of praying, and I, I, I'm going to confess here, it's one of the harder things that I do. I, I do it as a regular habit because it's a command. But I think that, you know, to properly estimate and evaluate our position in relation to the state is a complicated matter. It's not one of the easiest things that we do as Christians because the gray area between between our our place here and our, our our position here it's really it's complicated to navigate it's complicated to navigate where we engage and where we hold back and and what it means like i find myself a lot of times going to pray in obedience in obedience to my to my calling for for the leaders in the land where i live and I get kind of stymied and stuck. And I wonder like, what am I praying for? Am I praying for their conversion? And, I, and I'm glad for the indicators. Dave, Dave made that prayer earlier that we could live in peace, but I feel like I should be doing more than just praying for my own peace, even for the sake of my ministry. So uh, how, how do you approach that issue, Asher? What, what do you make of praying for the leaders in the land where we live? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a really good question. That's actually um, when when Titus asked if I would come on and pray. That uh, something I've thought a lot about, but I, like you, have found it almost most difficult to do. I, I don't know if my boys are right outside the door here. That's all right. Having a we little like scramble. Children. I don't know if you can hear that or not, but um, I. You know, it's we're told to pray. We're not, as far as I'm aware, we're not really ever told what to pray, um, other than what Jesus told us to pray that that God's kingdom would come and His will would be done. And if if at least the thing that I've been thinking about, and maybe maybe you guys have some feedback on this, but perhaps our posture in praying ought to be understanding. You know, thinking of Daniel four seventeen, that like God, God is going to rise up, raise up who, whoever He will, and um, and He's going to use. And there, we could get into all kinds of theological debate. Like, does God know exactly what the few, like what decision Biden or Trump is going to make in their first three months or what? But He's going to use them as well as any other earthly king to bring about his his full work of redemption in the span of history 
and but I think of um I think of Paul with with Agrippa you know we we still long for our leaders to not just be almost persuaded but but to be fully persuaded and that right to pray that they would like God's plan is not at stake right but the leader of our nation could play a huge role in not only himself obviously but in many people seeing and knowing God's plan and, and embracing it um and so, yeah, I guess I, I, the last few days, as, as I've been thinking about it, I mean, last months, but the last few days, specifically praying about the election, been trying to pray from a posture of God's will is going to be accomplished. And th- my prayers are more targeted at, well, honestly, maybe us as a church, but then also that through whatever happens, people can see God's glory, God's goodness, and that his kingdom can come. I don't know. What, what are you guys' thoughts on that? I think there's a real genuine place for gratitude, too, in whatever country we live in, that there, there are things, you know, the, the, God ordains civil structures for the benefit of mankind. I mean, it creates order in the world that we wouldn't have without it. And, you know, some, I think that that order vacillates from more and less, sometimes more chaotic and sometimes more ordered. And we can be grateful for, for what's being with withheld and restrained in, in evil because of that ordained Mm -hmm. authority. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. What about you, David? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I I don't know. I the whole the, the, the whole how it comes together, that's something I've that's something I've really struggled with knowing um knowing, you know, how to pray. Um partly because um I tend to be, um, I, I, I'm not one of these, I'm not one of these heroes. Um, I always say if the apocalypse comes, I hope I go out in the first wave, you know? And so it's easy for me to feel like I'm, like I'm being selfish to pray for peace because part of the reason I want peace is because I don't want bad things to happen to me and, you know, my family, but at the same time, like, I know that it's, I know that it's, um, like we're living in an anomaly. This isn't something. This the 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 peace that most of us have been able to live with is not something that ninety five percent of the people who've ever lived on the face of this earth have had to deal with. And even if you look at the people in the world now and the the the, the other countries in the world now, there's people that um, that our country is but is making it impossible for them to live at the peace that we live in through no fault of their own. And so to pray, to pray for peace sometimes makes, sometimes makes me feel like I'm praying for, for, you know, well, let the art, let our army go and kill people elsewhere. So they don't come here and kill me kind of thing. And I realize that's, that doesn't actually work because peace, you know, peace works. 
so I, I really struggle with knowing, um, and I, I think that's where that's where we have to come back to um, with Jesus' prayer, not my will, but yours. Whatever, mm-hmm. whatever you want, whatever your goal is. Um, I know that, um, like like Asher said, there's a lot of we spend a lot of time discussing, you know, the God, how He sees the future, or how He works with the future, and how His plans interact with our prayers and so forth, but god whatever it is god can see around the bend god understands and god knows more than i know and so i've spent a lot of time just praying lord just let your will be done Mm -hmm. um you know whatever that is like (laughs) if it's up to me i'd like to have peace for me for my family for my child Mm -hmm. and you know the, the people that i know but ultimately you know what your people need in order to be prosperous not only outwardly but inwardly so it's something I spend a lot of time thinking about, but I don't know if I have any great answers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, shall we pray? Yeah, let's pray. All right. Father, I, I thank you for the opportunity to gather with fellow believers. Um, it's a crazy crazy year and one of the things that we're discovering is is that we can gather virtually and i saw some numbers earlier i think there's several hundred people gathered this evening and um just reflecting on your kingship and reflecting on our role in in participating in your kingdom and also having some fun as we do it cracking some jokes and lord I don't know who's going to be president of USA at this point. Um, And like David said, there are things that I would like to see happen at a political level because it, it is comfortable for me. Um, It's safe. It's, or maybe it's something I've enjoyed in life. And Yet I also realize that you never promise that we would experience those things on this earth. And so like David was saying, it's an anomaly. It's a, it's a rare time. And I, I look around our country and on both the political right and left, we're so radical and divided. And I've never before known or felt a, a almost fear in what happens tonight um there could be violence on both sides it, it feels like and lord i just ask for your will to be done your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven and i ask for peace in the hearts of men that whether we are guys on a, on a live stream or men struggling to make ends meet, maybe even not even paying attention to news tonight or or women, single mothers struggling with their families or, um, or whether we're the president elect this evening, God, that, that there would be a, peace 
that our nation would come to know that is your Holy Spirit peace. And God, I, I do ask that the president could be a part of leading us in that, in acknowledging you. Um, that's something I desire. I, th I think we all desire that, Father. But I also just pray that we as the church, Lord, we have that. We have that inside each of us. We have that when we gather together. And, and I pray that that could be experienced and practiced or lived out and realized, not just in our local churches, definitely in our local churches, because we're, we're struggling with peace there too. But God, also that the nation around us, the USA, the other nations around us, God, that we, the church who transcend borders, can model that peace and show that peace. Lord, we just give this time to you. We give our leaders to you. We ask that you would hold the evil back, that they would make decisions that are in the direction of life and redemption. And we ask for your endurance and boldness, no matter what comes as your body, that we can be faithful ambassadors in spite of who is president. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks, Asher. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for doing this. Didn't wasn't a part of it all, but enjoyed. I, I got to hear Finney, Finney's interview, and that was good. good. Yeah. All right. All right. Peace, brother. Thank you. See you. Well, does that about wrap up the evening? Oh, we're just getting started. <laughs> My wife just sent me a text and said I look tired. I don't feel terribly tired, but she's she's usually right when she says I look bad. <laughs> we, we've been doing this for three and a half hours. <laughs> yeah, but it, we still have 79 people that are um, that are still watching. So we must be, you know, I, I hate to sign off with that many people still on. So I thought if we want to clear Clear it off real quick. Maybe we tell a string of jokes and we can watch yeah. the. Yeah, how can we get rid of this? How can we drop these people? <laughs> well, let me yeah. let me tell the the last few the the few faithful a couple of things. I want to I'm 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 gonna track down Anthony's uh, allegiance, um, his pledge of allegiance, and we'll put it on the DKP. So you got to come to DKP. Our new page, we have a page just for this podcast, Dank Kingdom Podcast. So you got to come there to get your transcript of that. The other thing I want to say is that I just, you know, this is one of the, the DKP is one of the unexpected blessings out of the time mm -hmm. that we've had in, um, in quarantine and COVID and with all, I think we were all kind of looking for something to fill our minds and our hearts with and I really appreciate um, the time that we've been able to to spend together, us on on the call, and those of you that listen in. Uh, I really appreciate this community. It's become way more than I ever expected it to be. It was experimental in its origin, and it's already uh, been way more to me, way more of a blessing than I ever expected. So. 
I'm really glad to be be here with all of you, those of you brothers here that we talk with and, and all of you watching. Mm -hmm. So thanks for being a part of part of the dank kingdom. Absolutely. Yeah, it's been it's I can't imagine the, the, the whole dank um the whole dank community, um, both this podcast and the and the meme group and the other parts of it. I honestly can't imagine 2020 without it. Y'all have just been an absolutely enormous part of my life. Um, and really not just, I mean, it's it's been a lot of fun and laughs and so on, but has really helped to bring the kingdom of Jesus into just the, the forefront of my mind a lot more than it has been in the past. And, and a lot of you have, have just been a huge part of, of, of my life. And I, yeah, I appreciate it. It's, it's what the kingdom is about. Yeah, I think especially in 2020, we needed a community to make sense of what, what's mm -hmm. been going on and uh, a community that is intellectually engaged and that I can trust. And so, yeah, it's it's been really helpful for me as well. It's, it's certainly, you know, played a very specific function in my spiritual formation. Like it, it doesn't it doesn't accomplish nearly everything, you know, but it, right. it does accomplish a specific function. Um so yeah, thank you all for being part of it. Yeah. What well, was your idea, Titus? <laughs> <laughs> Me and Curtis. That's right. <laughs> well, I was I was all saying right. specifically the podcast. You oh yeah. Said, hey, we want to do this, so it was great. There you go. Really glad you really glad you did that. So. Well, I'm gonna call it a success for DKP for the Dank Kingdom community, and especially a huge victory for Jesus tonight. Hallelujah. Yes. Long live yeah. King Jesus. Long live King Jesus. Yeah, I I love the opening um, to the, well, at least one of the Anglican services in the prayer book. Um, blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and blessed be his kingdom now and forever. Amen. Amen. All right. See you guys. Good night. God bless you.